Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Time out for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing, high fly ball, hit deep to right. So they're going back. Track ball, that's going to carry out. Donovan homers to tie the game. Swing, fly ball, long straight center field. So they're back. That ball is off the base of the wall. It hops up high. Here comes Carlson around third. He's coming home from the plate. Off target. Gorman ties it up with a double. Nolan Arenado's last walk-off hit. Well, it's been a while. How about one right here? One ball, no strike. Swing, drive. Deep left field. That ball is gone. He can jog It's a pretty good offense. So when you get contributions from the rotation the way we have a couple times through now, and um, the bullpen is able to come in and do what they did, I mean, I feel like we can be in any game. So the rotation has been a, a big part of the success over the last uh, several games. The Cardinals have won seven of their last nine games. They have won four in a row. They are no longer in last place in the division. It is the first time we've been able to say that here to start the show since May 28th. They had spent 80 of the 107 days so far this season in last place in what is almost certainly the worst division in all of Major League Baseball. Good morning. Welcome in to BK and Ferrario alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. Alex, the Cardinals have won seven of nine, including four straight. They play again later on this afternoon against the Miami Marlins. That audio was courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. I think the question that everybody's asking themselves today is much like the question we asked ourselves on that fateful day when we woke up in mid-February for the St. Louis Blues and they had won three in a row. That day, Doug Armstrong traded Ryan O'Reilly after we asked, are you ready to buy in if the Blues start going on a bit of a winning streak? So we're going to ask the same question today, Alex. Are you ready to buy in if the Cardinals make this a longer winning stretch? No, I'm not. And I hope John Mozeliak is as big of a fan of BK and Ferrario as Doug Armstrong was on that day when we started the segment. And about 30 minutes later, Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari were traded away because Doug basically said, yeah, I'm not falling for this. And I don't believe John Mozeliak is either. Look, for me, I just want some type of entertainment the rest of the season. If you're going to be bad, at least give me some type of watchability, if that's even a word, for this Cardinals team. But I also find myself sitting on the fence here because I'd also like to see them just be bad the rest of the season and capitalize and get themselves a nice draft pick, which you never have gotten before. But 
I'm not going to buy back in, even if you go on a little bit of a stretch, and even if people believe that the month of August is favorable, because I'm going to put my my faith in John Mozeliak that regardless of what this team does between now and August 1st, he realizes that this team is not good enough and we're still selling off all of the pieces that we have to. Yeah, I, I think when I, you look at the Cardinals, I, I think they have determined that they are sellers. Mo said that, and I don't think he's going to change his mind. Even if this team gets hot and they continue to play this kind of baseball leading up to the MLB trade deadline, I think Mo realizes the spot that they are in, even though they are in a bad division, that they have some of the best assets on the market and they can capitalize on this and really kind of retool this rotation, revamp this team at the deadline and in an offseason to get back into better contention for 2024. So I, I think Mo is determined, kind of like Army did clearly before our show that day back in February, and said, we are sellers no matter what happens. And I think Mo is on the same kind of thinking as Army was back then. I wouldn't blame Mo if he traded Jordan Montgomery or Jack Flaherty today. I really wouldn't. I wish you would. I, I It's the kind of move that Doug Armstrong, as we mentioned, made. By the way, I hope that my mic sounds better now I was connected. I'm glad you left that tin can, man. Yeah, get out of the bathroom, man. I apologize. Uh, We are we're doing our best here. Um, I think that he's made his decision. I think you guys are 100 percent correct. The Cardinals are still 10 games back in an atrocious division, guys. They are 11 games under 500. At some point, we all came to the conclusion This is not a team that can do anything meaningful in the postseason. I think for me, I got there when they got walked off against the San Francisco Giants. That was the day where it was like, all right, it's just not happening this year. Let's go ahead and turn the page to 2024. This team does not have the pitching to be able to do anything meaningful. And so if I'm John Mosellock, I'm looking at this and... While I am excited about the recent performance and it makes me feel a lot better about my team, the recent performance makes me feel better about my team for 2024 than it does for 2023 because I know the core is still there. Arenado is great. Goldie is awesome. Brendan Donovan, man, what he's done over the course of the last month has been nothing short of remarkable. And now you're starting to see what this team can do when it does get quality pitching. Guys, they have received 28 quality starts so far this season from their starting pitchers. Only the Reds, the Rockies, the Tigers, the A's, and the Royals. Those five teams have fewer quality starts from their starters this year. Here's the thing, though. When they get them, the Cardinals are really good. They're 21-7 this year when you get a quality start out of your starter. They've had that seven times since July 1st. They are 7-0 in those seven games in which their starter gives them a quality start. The Cardinals issues all year long have been very easy to diagnose. They are a team that does not have enough quality pitching. They still don't have enough quality pitching and that does not get fixed by the end of the year. That is not something they can overcome even if they were to make some kind of miraculous run the rest of the way. This is a team that needs a trade deadline and an offseason to replenish the pitching so that way they can compete for something meaningful in 2024. And the other reason why you need to make these trades and not buy into this run that you're doing right now is because you're not going to be relying on Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery to be providing you quality innings next season. It's pretty obvious you're not going to be bringing them back. John Mozeliak had the Freudian slip that might have told you everything when he spoke with the media uh, a couple of days ago. 
So uh, rather than sit here and say, oh, well, now we're starting to get great pitching and we know we got a good offense. Let's just keep these guys and make a run. To me, that's going to be a massive mistake on you missing an opportunity to capitalize on a bad season where your team underperformed. And that's not a fluke. It's not a matter of, oh, well, it just took them four months to figure out how to pitch well. And now they're going to go on a run. I'm not buying that. You need to move on from these guys that aren't in your plans for 2024. Replenish your system to make 2024 a lot more attainable. And there's no reason to cling on to hope between now. I mean, that's 12, 13 days of you sitting here acting like, oh, well, we can make up ground. You just barely got out of the bottom of the NL Central. 13 days doesn't make that much of a difference for me to where I would much rather see where those guys go and see what I can get in return. And, and to BK's point, like when this team does get quality pitching, as we've seen, this offense can't carry them. And you're not going to really change that this year. But next year, you can see where the clear fix is needed. And I, I think when you look at this offense, and we'll see what happens. I don't know how much depth of this lineup is going to be dealt away. I don't know if they're moving a Gorman. I don't, it sounds like they're not moving a new bar. But either way, this lineup has some serious depth to it. They've got a solid kind of one through six, I would say, right now in their starting lineup. So when this offense gets paired with good pitching, they are a team that can definitely compete in 2024. I, I have no question about that. Now, when you look at what they do with the rotation, that will be determining what their ceiling is. Is it a team that can compete for just an NL Central or a team that can compete for a World Series? And that's where they'll have to determine it in this offseason to try and fix this rotation. But this offense is good enough that it can be paired with a good pitching staff and you feel like you're a threat in October. Yeah, and the other thing that I would say to Cardinals fans is like, even if they do go on a little bit of a run here down the stretch, like I, I think it's possible, guys, that the Cardinals end up finishing like five games out of the division lead by the end of the year. And that is despite them making all of the moves that we're all anticipating, that will have more to do with their schedule than it will to do with the quality of the team. And so don't look back on this and say, Mo made a mistake by trading away guys. They could have made the postseason. Man, a lot of teams can make the postseason when they have this upcoming stretch in early, uh, early August. Colorado, Kansas City, Oakland, the Mets, the Pirates. That is what the start of August looks like for the St. Louis Cardinals on their schedule. Those are basically a collection of all of the worst teams in Major League Baseball so far this year. So yeah, after the trade deadline, I'm going to go out and make a bold prediction. Cardinals are going to win a lot more games than we expect them to because the opponents that are on the schedule are horrendous. That does not mean that the Cardinals made a mistake by going out there and trading the assets that are necessary. It is time to break this core up a bit. That doesn't mean do a full-blown rebuild and trade off Goldie and Arenado and every player that you go to the ballpark to watch, it does mean trading the likes of Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery and Jordan Hicks and maybe making a move or two, maybe a few more than that even, with some of these position players that you have that are just causing way too many issues in terms of playing time for some of your young guys. So I do think you should make some moves. I think they should be coming sooner rather than later. I am not buying into the fact that they've been playing a little better lately, but it does make me feel much more optimistic about 2024 and what this team could be if and when they overhaul the pitching staff. Yeah. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We've had a lot of you guys text in over the last couple of days saying, when are you guys going to talk about stalker? Well, we've got some coming up for you in about 15 minutes or so. City is rumored to be in on a couple of different transfers. What does that mean for them over the course of their debut season in MLS? We'll get into that coming up at 1130. But next, the St. Louis Cardinals aren't finding their starting pitchers in the minors. 
I was looking into this a little bit yesterday, Alex. Who could the Cardinals trade for that changes their fortunes in the rotation in 2024? If they're going to make those moves, it's got to be for an established major league pitcher. And I'll explain why coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Trade deadline is upon us. It's basically trade deadline season. And every year there is a baseball team that quote unquote holds the keys to the trade deadline. It is the St. Louis Cardinals. But for once they are sellers officially. What does that entail? That was Andy McCullough on the Athletics Baseball Podcast yesterday. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So what does it mean for the Cardinals to sell? Well, I think the starting point, Alex, that we all agree on is... It means that they're going to have to trade Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, and Jordan Montgomery. Those are the guys that are going to command a decent return, you would expect, and they are the upcoming free agents for this offseason. So you either get the qualifying offer draft pick, which is a second-round pick for the Cardinals, or you go out there and make a move for them at the deadline. They could also do something like trading Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson or other position players that are no longer a part of their core plans for the future as well, All of this, though, comes in mind with the idea that they could get quality, controllable pitching for years to come. Alex, there's one addendum that I would like to put onto that. Because we've talked a lot about how the Cardinals rotation for next year needs three new starters in it. Three of the five spots are open. I don't think you can plan on any prospects being a part of that rotation in a meaningful way in 2023. And here's why. Yesterday, I put together a list. I'll go ahead and put this on for the YouTube uh, viewers. This is kind of the the breakdown that I had. This is my scratchy handwriting on. It's like chicken scratch. (laughs) Yeah, some of the prospects for teams that could be buyers at the deadline. Then earlier today, I went through and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to make this easier. Who are the top pitching prospects in Major League Baseball, and how many innings have they thrown so far this year? The answer, among the top six starting pitching prospects in Major League Baseball that have not made their big league debuts this season. Zero innings, 60 innings, 53 innings, 60 innings, 12 innings, 28 innings. Alex, these are reliever numbers that I'm reading off right now. These are not, I'm going to come in and throw 150 innings for the Cardinals in 2024 numbers. And these are the best pitching prospects in all of Major League Baseball. If the Cardinals are going to overhaul this rotation, they are going to have to do it with proven veteran arms more so than they are with guys that are on the up and up coming up from AAA. This is not the route, in my opinion, that the Cardinals are going to have to go. They're going to have to develop pitching within. You don't trade for other prospects to be able to solidify your rotation for 24. Well, if you're developing pitching from within, you're going to be waiting about five years, maybe more, for these guys to be impactful pitchers with the exception of Tink Hens. This is why we've talked about the trade deadline is probably the most important point for John Mozeliak because you might have to be really aggressive and strike a blockbuster trade rather than just selling off pieces to at least jumpstart this this retooling process of your rotation because you're not going to be able to fill three spots that include your one, three, or one, two, however you look at Michaelis, 
via free agency because that's going to be $70 million maybe. And John Mozeliak's not spending that just on two guys. So you're going to have to be aggressive enough to find somebody in that frame. I could see them making a move for somebody like this that you're talking about, BK, the chicken scratch that you put on the notebook. Hmm. I can see one of those guys in the rotation with other guys as the five starter, the McGreevies, the Libertors, the Dakota Hudson's, if he's back, like that's the depth that John Mozeliak said that they didn't have this season. So I can see where that becomes impactful, but that's also why I look at it and say, man, if you can strike with these trade deadline acquisitions, of course, find some guys who might be a couple of years, but if you could find somebody who could impact your bullpen next season, that might be a desirable move also because then you're killing two birds with one stones in the trade deadline to where you're not looking to overhaul the bullpen on top of overhauling this rotation. Yeah, I, I think when you're looking at these prospects that they could potentially be acquiring in these deals, I think you're looking at guys that come in, and at best you're planning on them being the five next year in the rotation. Not even pitching this year unless you want to give them like a cup of coffee at the big league level with you opening up two spots when you move Monty and Jack. But you're basically acquiring these guys to be number fives for you or guys to what Alex just said are kind of in that role of Matthew Libertor right now where he's kind of that number six starter who's spent some time in AAA, also spends time at the major leagues. And even with those guys being acquired, they're probably going to have an innings limit because Major League Baseball is not developing pitchers anymore with these big innings. As I mean, as BK read, the guy with the most innings in the top six pitching prospects is at 61 innings. That's nothing. So I think if you're looking to acquire those guys, these prospects, which I think is the right route to go, you're bringing them in to develop at the AAA level and at best be a contributor as a number five for you. But I think the main goal is to acquire them to be depth in AAA and be kind of that sixth starter for the Cardinals when injuries may occur next season. Because that's the one thing, BK, that Mo talked about of what what went wrong with this season was, yeah, of course you didn't have the quality starters, but you had no depth. When When you needed guys to come up and help, it's been the same three guys. It's been Jake Woodford, it's been Matthew Levertor, and Dakota Hudson. You haven't... You haven't reached beyond that because you don't have anything ready beyond that. And other teams have four or five guys that they can rely upon if somebody in the rotation goes down. Yeah. I mean, I agree, but I guess my my frustration is this. Like, these guys aren't doing it either. The, the guys that we're talking about that are some of the top pitching prospects in, in Major League Baseball, I don't think they would have provided a whole lot of quality innings for the Cardinals either. Man, I was looking through some of the ERAs. Like, I think I think Major League Baseball has a serious problem on its hand. I don't see the quality starting pitching that's on the way up. Like, looking through some of the... And I'm talking about the best starting pitching prospects. The ERAs, for the most part, are in the fours and fives. And that's in AAA. Like, it just takes so long to develop these starters, not only in the minors, but then even when they get to the big leagues, Yuri Perez is the outlier. The typical, like, the the path for these starters is it's going to take you about three years before you figure it out at the big league level. And if that's the case, man, the Cardinals can't go with these guys. Like, you, you can use the minor league prospects to improve your bullpen, and that's what they should be focusing on. But the way that you improve your actual rotation for years to come is by going out there and getting proven arms. And this goes back to the conversation that we've had a million different times. This team has to open up the purse book. Like they they have got to be willing to spend more money than they have ever been comfortable with before. Alex, the team that we uh, point at as the model for the Cardinals in terms of how you are able to overhaul the pitching in one offseason is the Texas Rangers. 
and you look at the ages for these starters that they have, man, they don't have a bunch of young guys. They've got Nathan Avaldi, who's 33, that they signed in free agency. They've got John Gray, 32, free agent. Andrew Heaney, 32, free agent. Dane Dunning, 29, traded for him in 2020. Martin Perez, 32, got him in free agency and then were able to keep him. Jacob deGrom, 35, free agent, but obviously on the IL. They traded this past offseason for Jake Odorizzi to provide some of that uh, stability at the back end of the rotation or in the bullpen, 33 years old. They're not relying on young guys to go in there and give them quality innings. Finding these guys, it's going to take 27 to 32-year-old starters. That is where the Cardinals should be prioritizing things this offseason, and that's going to require a whole hell of a lot of money to be invested in this rotation. Open up the wallet, but also you need to start getting comfortable being uncomfortable with trading away Major League Baseball pieces. And and I don't know who that's going to be, but I mean, I, I keep saying it. Logan Gilbert's the guy that makes the most sense. If you add one cost-controlled pitcher to a rotation, now you're spending less money via free agency because you've already addressed one of those and you're trading away, yeah, pieces that can help your offense be great, but you're, 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 you're leveling that out with effective pitching that can help out the offensive side of things. So that's why for me, August 1st, you've got to make some type of significant trade to bring something in for next season so that you're not trying to address the rotation in three open spots, potentially four open spots of what happens with Matt's the rest of the way. You're not going to be able to spend all of that money to bring in guys unless you're spending mid-level money on guys, which is my concern with John Moselock and free agency. So T-Bone, Alex mentioned a name there that I find interesting, and we've been talking about him a lot, and that is Logan Gilbert, the starting pitcher uh, for the Seattle Mariners. He is young, he's cost-controlled, he's 26 years old, and he's really good already. And he's throwing a bunch of innings now for the Seattle Mariners. Now, he's not a number one. He's like a, a two or a three. And so we've mentioned him as a potential trade target for the Cardinals because that's something that they really need. Fangraphs is doing a piece right now, a countdown of the most valuable trade assets in Major League Baseball. They yesterday posted the number 40 to 31 values. I'm going to go down a few of these guys just to give you some context on the range that we're talking about in terms of most valuable trade assets in all of Major League Baseball. At number 37 is Jeremy Pena, the young shortstop that the Houston Astros went with when Carlos Correa left. At 36, Bobby Witt Jr., one of the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball a couple of years ago. At number 35, Vlad Guerrero Jr., no introduction necessary on that one. 34, once again, no intro necessary, Randy Orozarena. At number 33 on their list, most valuable assets in all of Major League Baseball when it comes to the trade market, Logan Gilbert, starting pitcher for the Seattle Mariners. Guys, if Logan Gilbert is a more valuable trade asset than Randy Arozarena is, T-Bone was right, Keith Law was right, and I, shockingly enough, was wrong. It is going to take a haul to be able to get him from the Mariners. Alex, when you hear that, do you still have interest in paying the requisite amount to get Logan Gilbert from the Mariners? I do, because I think that fixes your issue in terms of cost-controlled young starting pitcher that can be a part of that top three in a rotation for years to come. And when I look at Seattle, they need help offensively, and they need help offensively bad. And guess what the Cardinals are great at? 
offense. So it's a perfect match. It's just, it's going to suck. It's going to suck to have to trade somebody. You're probably talking about one of Donovan or Gorman. You're talking about one of these outfielders, probably talking about some minor league guys that you're not going to want to walk away from. I don't know if they're really interested in a Mason win because they've got the shortstop position set. Maybe they are for second base, but it's going to suck. But guess what? Your Your pitching is not going to be retooled in the direction you think it's going to be retooled if you're just saying well we'll get guys in the free agency period because that means you're going to be spending 10 15 million dollars on three different guys and none of that addresses it so yeah it's going to suck to have to trade the the required price for getting a logan gilbert but to get talent you're going to have to give up talent and the cardinals got a lot of it on the offensive side yeah this is the kind of move and I, i think they are in need of this kind of move to where it is you're going to have that puke point, and when you make this move, when you submit the paperwork to major, the Major League Baseball uh, offices, John Mozeliak goes, man, this might be the move that cost me my job, but we really needed to make it because we need pitching desperately, and it's one of those deals that you just need to go out and do because you have the offensive depth. And if you have um, if you have the say from ownership that you're going to be willing to spend and you can go out and potentially pay a Blake Snell or an Aaron Nola in free agency, then you can even add another big trade piece into this and Tink Henson include him in this package. So I, I think this is the kind of move that the Cardinals are going to have to really seriously look at this this trade deadline because they need someone of his ilk to be in this rotation that's a two or three for them. Yeah, BK, somebody just texted in on our Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646 and says, Alex, so you're willing to trade Gorman or Donovan plus Carlson plus Graceffo? Yeah, and you know what? Throw Yvonne Herrera in there for them too because they Whoa, need catching help. That's our catch in no, the future. No, it's not. Sorry. But yeah. That is the price it's going to cost you to upgrade your rotation. But guess what? Your rotation going into the offseason is Gilbert, Michaelis, and Mats, and other names. Now I'm talking about just signing an Aaron Nola or a Blake Snell, and my one through three is going to look as dominant as any team in the National League going into next season. And that's what you need to do. And guess what? If I have to trade Gorman and Carlson, I still got Brendan Donovan, and I still got Lars Newtbar. So you're still in a good spot with a better pitcher. So for for context, Lars Newtbar was on this list. And he was in the 40s, so he's not super far away. Like, there, there is probably a deal to be made there if you wanted to do, like, a Lars Newtbar plus... I don't know, a, a prospect, maybe it's Mason Wynn, something like that. Uh, for for a Logan Gilbert, maybe you could make something like that work. But if you're just going like the prospect route, for example, Alex, uh, to, to give a little more context on this, they had Luis Castillo at number 32, one spot ahead of Logan Gilbert on this trade value chart. And we know Luis Castillo was just traded last year, so we've got a pretty good idea of what the prospect hall was there. It took a top 30 prospect, not in a system, in all of Major League Baseball. It took another top 50 prospect, and then it took like a Michael McGreevy type of a pitcher. So you're talking about something along the lines of, this is this would be the equivalent for what the Cardinals have in their system at least, uh, Mason Wynn, um, Tink Hintz, and Michael McGreevy. That kind of a package for a guy like Logan Gilbert. And that's if you did it with the prospects and not the major league assets already. And I would imagine Seattle is going to want more major league because they think they can compete and they need more offense than pitching because the reason they're giving up Gilbert is because they've got a lot of young pitchers that are in the system and controllable. They need help on the offensive side, which is why you might have to lean more towards that. I'm more surprised at how many people are texting in right now saying there's no way I'm pulling that trade off. You can't do that. That's a haul for a guy that's not good enough 
BK just gave you the fan graphs ratings. Like, this guy is valued as highly as a Randy or Rosarena, and he's pitching well. He's not pitching like a five, like a Matthew Libertor was in AAA. He's pitching at the major league level as a number three for the Seattle Mariners team or a number two for the Seattle Mariners team. It sucks to have to trade Nolan Gorman and Dylan Carlson or if you're going to have to include a large new bar in this. But you know what? You did this to yourself because you didn't want to yep. sign guys in free agency. Yeah. Yeah. It- and you suck at drafting. Yeah, and real quick, what I was going to say, too, is there's a chance that this guy, and he's super young, and he's a two now. I mean, there's a chance he develops into a one. Exactly. Now, I say that, and I don't want to say Cardinals should bank on that. They should be willing to go spin and still look for the one that's currently there. But there is still a chance that Gilbert can develop and get even better as he gets older, as he starts to get more mature and gains more confidence. And like his stuff now profiles as a two. Who knows what he looks like five years down the road. He could be a number one for the Cardinals if you go and acquire him. Everybody texting in saying this isn't MLB the show. You can't pull the trade off. Yeah, you know what you also can't do? Upgrade your rotation by trading Tyler O'Neill and Paul DeYoung because other teams don't want those pieces. What? All right, I'm getting frustrated. BK, you need to hit a break. I, hey, man, I get it. Like, it, it's really hard to make these trades. Yeah. It is. And this is the tough part about where the Cardinals are at in terms of upgrading the rotation, it is going to hurt. It's going to hurt either with money in years or it's going to hurt with prospects or major league talent that has to go out the door. There is no alternative. In order to get the type of pitching that the Cardinals seek, they are going to have to give stuff that they really don't want to give. And the Cardinals have been very hesitant to make these kinds of deals in previous seasons. And it's something that they are going to eventually have to get. So uh, whether it's Logan Gilbert, this is just one name. It's one name that we are, we are throwing out there. There are others that could be in the same category, but they're going to have to get one of those types of players and it's going to hurt whenever they do it. And then you probably get your other two starters via free agency. Yep. That, that's that's the route that the Cardinals are almost certainly going to have to go. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. By the way, you guys can watch us live on YouTube at 101 ESPNSTL. But next, should City go all in on this season by going out there and acquiring multiple players that upgrade this lineup via the transfer pool? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So Messi has started training with Inter Miami, Alex. He's getting ready to make his debut in MLS. This is one of the biggest sports debuts that I can remember. And you guys know, like, I'm not trying to be a fraud here. I'm not somebody that's watching a whole lot of EPL games on on the weekend. Like, that's just, it's not my cup of tea. I respect the fact that a whole lot of people are into it. It's just not something that I ever really got into. But I don't have to be a soccer head in order to understand the impact of Messi and what he means to the sport. This is like if... Michael Jordan or LeBron James decided to go play in the Euro League after their respective uh, primes in their careers. This is a massive, massive deal. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Alex, I wanted to talk about this a bit with you and T-Bone, and I know T-Bone is probably the biggest soccer fan of the three of us. What? What is the comparison for this? Like, what can I look to for a, if a it's a casual soccer fan that's in our audience that just started getting into the sport when City became a thing here in St. Louis? What is the closest comparison to Messi's debut in MLS for recent sports debuts that you can think of? Uh, recent is tough, but I mean, to me, it's LeBron. I, I would say the hype around LeBron James's first season was as close to as this hype as possible, just because, I mean, everybody was, t- everybody knew who LeBron James was, that it was going to be a big deal when he showed up at basketball. And I remember a preseason game that his first year, it was in St. Louis and I went to it and like the place was sold out. So that's the only one that I can come up with just in terms of comps with excitement. There's other guys like Bryce Harper with the Nationals. There was a lot of excitement around him. Everybody knew who he was because he was showing up on these news shows, hitting dingers in Vegas. But man, I I would say LeBron James has to be the closest. Yeah, I I think that's the closest one that I can think of in terms of this kind of ilk where you've got LeBron James, the most highly touted prospect ever in the NBA at that point, I would say. I would also say Harper's a really good one. McDavid maybe falls into this if you yeah, want to I look hockey. I, I, I think though. hockey is more of Gretzky than I, it is McDavid. I, I think Ovechkin would probably, just because he wasn't playing in Canada, it was Russia, but everybody knew he was a goal scorer. Yeah. And everybody was excited to see who this guy was that was selected. He's probably the best comp in hockey to yeah. Gretzky. I, I just can't think of many because, like, Messi's like one of the top athletes in the world, not just at his specific sport. And now I think LeBron moved himself into that category now, but when he debuted, it wasn't like this is the top athlete in the world. It was a top athlete in basketball and in the right. United States. I mean, we're talking about arguably the best soccer player of all time now coming to the States after playing in multiple different leagues, playing in Spain, playing in Paris. Like, I, I just can't think of any kind of comp that really runs into what Lionel Messi's move to the MLS really means. And this move also kind of transcends MLS up like it, MLS, like sixth best soccer league at best, I would say. Mm-hmm. And known for a place where people go to retire where they have trouble drawing stars. And now they get the best player in the world to come to Miami, a team that is in last place in the Eastern Conference. Like there's just... No real comps for what this means for the game of soccer and what it means in terms of sports. A couple of texts to BK. A lot of people are saying Shohei Otani when he came to... That's one that I was going to mention. And then Tiger Woods. And I do remember the hype around Tiger Woods when he started golf because he was the young prodigy that you were excited to see who he was. But those are a couple that are mainly coming in on the text line. 
a couple others that kind of came to mind for me, and they're a little different because they're trades as opposed to like debuts in a new league or something like that. But uh, like the A Rod to the Yankees, yeah, I think kind of fits into this criteria where it's such a historic franchise and a guy that is moving positions. That's uh, despite whatever you think of A-Rod, one of the best shortstops that I've seen in my lifetime, and he ended up moving to third base because they had a future Hall of Famer that's the most overrated shortstop in MLB history uh, with Derek Jeter already on the roster. Uh, Kevin Durant going to the Warriors, I think, fits into this criteria. And then the Denver Broncos signing Peyton Manning, I, I think, would be up there as well. He had gone through the neck surgery, so nobody really knew what to expect from Peyton once he got to Denver. But, I mean, that's one of the five best quarterbacks, conservative and conservatively speaking, in the history of the NFL. And he left. You, you never see stuff like that. And he was still in his prime. So I, I would say those would probably be the three that come to mind that kind of compare. But even those, Tanner, to your point, it's different. Because this is, like... This is like Michael Jordan and Tom Brady and Shohei Otani wrapped up into one player and going into like a new league on a new continent for the first time in his career. So it's just, I, I don't know that there is a great comparison for what we're witnessing right now with Messi. Yeah, this would be like watching like McDavid when his contract's up going and deciding to go play in the KHL. Yeah. or. Or watching like That'd be wild. or like Albert last year, instead of deciding to sign in St. Louis for one final run, deciding to go to Japan and retire in Japan and play one or two years there. Like, or like Jordan leaving basketball and going to play baseball. Yeah. Like, like it just it doesn't happen that often. And it happens in soccer some because of the transfer and all that that goes on with it. But it, it's tough to really come up with the comp, especially here in America, because America always looks at their their sports leagues are typically the top crop when you're looking at their leagues. And soccer's just not that in terms of the world ranking and all that. Now you get to sign a Messi and you get to bring him into the league, and he's even starting to draw some stars over here. Like the, the, I just can't think of anything that really compares to how big a deal this is to where like the MLS is like talking about moving these games in Miami to early starts because that way that it can be shown globally because like right now a 7 o'clock start I think it's like 1 a.m. in England. It's like 3 o'clock in uh, Spain. Like they've got to, they're having to change the schedule so they can make it more of a global game. And when I say game, I just mean Messi's game. I don't even mean the MLS, just a global game so more people can watch Lionel Messi. So uh, a lot of people are bringing up David Beckham. Guys, like that is such a different level <laughs> than what we are witnessing right now. This is, this is one of, I mean, you could make an argument, the greatest soccer player ever. And he's like, internationally speaking, given where we are at in like the, the television deals that exist where people internationally are able to watch in a way that, you know, 20 years ago wasn't possible. He's arguably the, the biggest sports star in the world when you're just talking about recognition internationally. Messi's right up there. So for, for that to be taking place in MLS, I, th there's no comp. <laughs> like it's, it, it is all of these things that we're discussing and then some. T-Bone, I did want to mention one other thing uh, when it comes to City because this is the transfer period right now taking place in soccer while uh, this all-star break is going on in MLS. There was a report over the last couple of days that I'm not going to get into the specifics of the players because I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. I don't know a whole lot about them, but that the that city is in 
on a couple of guys. One is a winger, the other is a uh, left back that could potentially be coming over, and they're for real money. Six hundred thousand dollars is is the the price that is being reported, at least. Do you think that City's gonna should be and will be in on significant transfers that can help them with this stretch run now that they are considered to be uh, the team to beat in the Western Conference? I think they should be. I, I because winning windows don't come around a lot. Like when you have a team like this that sits atop the Western Conference. I'm not saying they're going to be bad next year, but you don't know what you're going to be next year. So I think this should be a year in which you decide to push your chips in, go out and get some big transfers, whether it be the left wing or the left back. Go help yourself and improve your roster because, one, you're in a great spot sitting near the top of the Western Conference. You're one of the best teams in MLS. And, two, you've got some of the best players in MLS. I mean, uh, Leuven's been great for this team, and had he not gotten hurt, was in the MVP conversation. Roman Berkey's the best goaltender in the MLS, and he's going to be at All-Star Week festivities and playing in the All-Star game tonight. Like, you have the pieces, and we're not even talking about Klaus because he's been dealing with injuries. He was one of the top goal scorers before he got hurt. You've got the pieces to make a run, and this is one of those times where they should be be looking to improve this roster to shore up any holes that he feels like they have so they can potentially go and win a cup. I, I do think they need to be aggressive and try and make this push because I think there's a chance Berkey is not in St. Louis for a long time because I think he'll look to go back over to Europe because he's played so well. Same can be said for Leuven. Same can be said for Klaus. This is the time where he should be pushing his chips in and trying to go all in and try and capture an MLS Cup in in the first year of existence for City SC. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could argue the other side of this. If you're an expansion team in your first season and you're the best team in your division conference, you got to push all your chips in because the excitement around you is at its all-time high. You don't know what the next couple of years are going to look like. And if you've got a chance to put yourself above the rest, you take advantage of that. No questions asked. And T-Bone's right. If I'm Roman Berkey, I don't know how long I'm going to be playing in the MLS for how good I've been this year. So our city's going to have to capitalize on this opportunity if they can add more talent or at least more depth. Yeah, I would also add this. I think one of the concerns that I had, and I'm sure there were others that had this, I think the organization had, was if you go out there and get significant pieces via these, these transfer prices and they don't play stylistically or don't want to play stylistically the way that City has so far this year, it could have a negative impact on the culture of the team. I don't think you're there anymore. I think the culture has been set. I think it's in place because of the success that you've been having so far this year. And if somebody else is added into that or multiple somebodies that help you increase the ceiling for your team... I think because of the success that they've had, you can bring one or two of those guys in now and they can seamlessly fit into what you're trying to build, even if they are not a perfect fit with that style of play. So I I think this is the time to go for it. And I think at, if nothing else, this is kind of like the Doug Armstrong effect. Lutz and the people in charge of City have earned the benefit of the doubt on who they decide to add. Because none of us, knew a whole lot about most of the players that they brought over the first time around with the debut team, and they have certainly played better than anybody could have anticipated. So uh, regardless of who they add via transfer, I think all of us will be excited about it just because that's the benefit of the doubt that this organization has earned with their first uh, season in MLS. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. 
Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, if you could keep one of them, who would you rather keep for 2024? Jack Flaherty or Jordan Montgomery? Jordan Montgomery. Simple consistency. I mean, Jordan Montgomery, since he has been a Cardinal, has been the exact same pitcher that you acquired, and he has provided everything you ask as a number two. He started the season off slowly, but whatever that was, he regained his form around, what was it, late April, early May, and he hasn't looked back since. So it would be Jordan Montgomery. He would slot in perfectly as that number two for you if you're going to go sign him via free agency. Yeah, I, I think Monty for me as well. I, I think with Jack, it's just been too inconsistent this year, even though he's pitched really well of late. It, it's just been too inconsistent. And I know the track record of Jack. And what I mean by that is I know more about his injuries. When Monty was hurt, it was when it, early on in his time with the Yankees since he's been a Cardinal. And even when they acquired him, he's been a guy that's been consistent. And you know what you're getting from him. With Jack, I just have concerns about that shoulder. Man, I think it's very clearly Jordan Montgomery. And the more that I watch him, the more like I know they need to trade him. It is the correct move in every sense of the word. But God, he is exactly what the Cardinals are going to be looking for this offseason. And that's what makes it tough, man, is like you're watching this right now and you're like, hey, if he would take a $20 million AAV contract, I would consider keeping him. But you need to get that contract signed before the deadline, and that's just not happening. I think the Cardinals made a mistake this offseason when they did not re-sign Jordan Montgomery. I'm with you. And I thought Miles Michaelis, I mean, Michaelis has pitched very well, but I I thought they should have went Montgomery over a Miles Michaelis just because of what the upside of Montgomery was. I think Michaelis, you've seen his best, and I'm not sure if it can stay there for the length of the contract. And I would have been fine with them doing both. I, I think the problem is like it's it's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. And the Cardinals just don't believe in spending that kind of money for pitching, but eventually they're gonna have to do it. Yeah. So whether you're paying twenty million dollars for Jordan Montgomery or you decide to go um with Lucas Giolito or something like that, like I you're gonna have to sign somebody to a, a pretty significant contract. Uh, T Bone, who how many pitchers do you think on the open market are better than Jordan Montgomery? Uh, well, I would say Nola. I would say Snell. Eduardo Rodriguez. Eh, I, 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 I'm not big on yeah, Rodriguez. I, I, I think he's kind of the same as Giolito. Montgomery. I would probably give Giolito a slight edge, but I, it's not a significant difference because I think Giolito's got more swing and miss. I think if Stroman gets on the market, I think Stroman's a better pitcher. Um, but outside of those the Cardinals names, won't sign Stroman, by the way. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, outside, oh, uh, Urias. I think Urias is yep. a better pitcher, but with major, like, flashing red lights. Um, but outside of those names, I think he's like the, what I just named there, five. He's probably like yep. the sixth best pitcher on the market. And again, I think him and Giolito, like, can kind of go back and forth. Baseball may value Monty more because he's left-handed. The problem with signing Montgomery is you'd be signing him to be like a number one for you because if you sign him, you're not going to go spend the money to get an ace. Oh, the wallet's the thing, though. They have to. They well, have they, to. They, they won't. That's why I think they're going to have to make the trade because they won't spend. I mean, we're talking 50, 55 million dollars a year combined between the ace and Jordan Montgomery. And that's if Jordan Montgomery would sign for 20 million dollars. They're not going to do that. That a hundred percent, and that's that's where things get really difficult. Is it's just 
you need one of these front-end starters, and I don't know that the... I, I think we do know they're not going to be willing to both get one of those front-end starters and pay Montgomery. So while it hurts and it sucks, uh, you're you're going to have to end up trading him at the deadline. Um, but if you could hold on to one, I, I think we all agree it's it's definitely Montgomery. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, you get to pick one of these two pairings to hold on to. So you get this combination, right? And the other ends up being traded. Newbar and Tommy Edmond is one. Donovan and Carlson is two. Which one of those duos would you rather have long-term? Newt and Edmund or Donovan and Carlson? I personally would rather have Donovan Carlson. Just because we've seen it with Brendan Donovan, he provides you the on-base ability that you're wanting with Lars Newtbar. If you need it in a pinch to put him in the outfield, you can use him there. His defense is good at second base. And I mean, you're not getting power from him, but I'm getting power elsewhere. And Dylan Carlson, albeit he's not going to be an offensive weapon for you, but at least he is a serviceable outfielder with a serviceable splits against lefties. So I would go Donovan Carlson. I would probably go Newt Edmond because I think, you know, Edmond's a really good player. Same with Donovan. But I think Newt Bar's ceiling is higher than Carlson. And I think that's what the conversation is with these two. And I, I just think, though I am lower on Newt Bar, I can see where the Cardinals can talk themselves into like, hey, this guy can profile as a 20 home run hitter, maybe 15 home runs. He's going to get on base at like a 360, 370 clip. And he plays a corner outfield spot and can play center in a pinch. So like, I, I think Newpar and Edmund would be the one that I would rather keep. I value Donovan significantly over Tommy Edmund. And I think Carlson and Newtbar is close enough that I would rather have Donovan and Carlson. And I think that might surprise some people, given my opinion on Carlson the last few days. I don't think Carlson is a bad baseball player. I think Carlson is totally fine. I just would rather have in a vacuum Newtbar than Carlson. But if you're telling me I also have to make the decision on Donovan versus Edmund, I'm sticking with the Donovan side of things. So, someone so. said, give me Newtbar and Donovan. Well, guess what? Then you're not upgrading your pitching <laughs> staff if you're trading the other pieces. Well, and that's not the question. The question is Newton Edmund or Donovan and Carlson. Well, you know what? People get <laughs> to amend their questions all the time, BK, on this show. I, I do agree. If I had to choose two of those four, I would personally keep Newt Bar and Donovan. Those would be the two out of the four. None of the above. Keep. Paul DeYoung. Oh. Touche. Coming up next, Brad Thompson knows something. He was on the fast lane yesterday talking about Wilson Contreras, and he said something that's stuck in our craw. We'll talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. But if they looked at him and talked to their staff, talked to their pitchers, talked to their coaches, and the consensus is moving forward, we would be a better ball club with somebody else catching 
the bulk of the work, then I think that that's a direction that you have to move. But I think that you can't do it until the offseason. I think that you really need to be able to sit down with him, have a legit adult conversation, give him months to mull over what might happen, what his role might look like, give them time to sell it of how important he is to this team, to this organization, because because guys, make no mistake, Wilson Contreras is incredibly important to this team, to this organization for what he can bring with his bat. But I, I don't know if his future is going to be behind the plate. That was Brad Thompson yesterday on the fast lane talking about Wilson Contreras' future role with the St. Louis Cardinals alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex, sometimes BT says stuff and I say to myself, hmm, what does BT know? Who's he talking to? Because when he was saying that on the fast lane yesterday and you have that coming off of John Mosellock's comments where he was very noncommittal about Wilson Contreras behind the plate long-term, it made me wonder if T-Bone was on to something the other day. When he said, you know, I'm just not sure that Wilson Contreras is going to be the starting catcher for the Cardinals in 2024. I poo-pooed it. I told him he was crazy. And now, the more I think about it, the more I hear people that are tied in talking about it, I wonder if, even if I disagree with it, T-Bone was on to something there. What do you think, Alex? I mean, I think you have to realize that it is a possibility from the comments we're hearing from John Mozeliak and what BT's saying. And BK, BK, you preach it more than anything. Like, your your actions speak louder than your words. And look at how they've gone about it this season with Wilson Contreras. Gave him his second chance. And now it seems like every other day there's a different catcher behind the plate. It's not Wilson Contreras. They're not treating him like an everyday catcher, and they're not treating it like a, oh, hey, next season we're going to put you back in that spot because we believe in you, and that's why we signed you to a contract. It's very obvious they're doubting their decisions with Wilson Contreras. I just don't know if I buy the quick to pull the hook on an individual because that's not a Cardinals move. Like, when have they ever been quick to pull the, to use the hook on somebody because they're not providing them what they think? Like, they stick with them for a while. So, I agree with BT. I think there's going to be a big boy conversation this offseason with Wilson and a group of Cardinals um, officials, whether it's John Mozeliak and Michael Gersh and Ali Marmol or whomever it might be. But there is going to be a, a come-to-Jesus moment for him of, look, your defense was bad this year. We need you to improve. Otherwise, you will lose your job at some point in 2024. I, I just don't know if it's going to be like at the beginning of the season. It's sorry, Wilson, you're gone. Yeah, I, I just think they I think when they look at it right now, because I, I agree with what you're saying, they haven't been really a team that is quick to pull the trigger on making moves in which they made a mistake, admitting they made a mistake in the decision, except for Mike Leake. I, I think Mike Leake is the one that I look to and I say they knew this wasn't going to work. And what they do, they paid to just basically have someone take them off their hands. And I'm not saying that's going to happen this year for the St. Louis Cardinals, or excuse me, next year for the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I don't think Contreras is gone and he's not on the roster by 2024. But I think Carrera can definitely be pushing him, Kisner, kind of the same way to where if they feel like they get a defensive upgrade, and I think that is the key here, a defensive upgrade, and they can't find a spot to continually put Contreras' bat in the lineup, whether it be left field, they end up making him an every time, everyday DH then I think they're seriously going to look to try and ship this contract away because I, I definitely think they feel like they made a massive mistake when it came to signing him. And not so much because 
of his bat. I think his bat has lived up to what we were expecting. I just don't think they thought his defense would be this bad, and I think they thought he would improve upon it. That's where I disagree. I don't think they're shipping him away. I don't think you can ship him away, especially after what last year's interest was at the trade deadline, and then this year if everything that's taken place. He's not going to be a desirable piece, and I think he's more important to your team if you're only using him as a starting catcher 60 to 70 games in a season. You're needing that bat the other 100-plus games because that's what you signed them for. You signed them for offense. If you're going to go down this path of bringing somebody in to be the defensive catcher, then he's going to be one of the primary bats for you as a everyday DH. And if you don't live up to that, then we're talking about probably DFAing him and losing out on that money. But again, that's just not a Cardinals move right away. So this reminds me so much of the, the decision that they made with Dexter Fowler. All the way down to the team that they came from, the way that they talked themselves into it. Do you guys remember the Dexter Fowler context? Yep. Because they were in, that was the offseason of Adam Eaton, right? Adam Eaton ended up getting traded from the White Sox for um, Lucas Giolito. Like, it was just this massive package because he had this great contract. Sound familiar? Sean Murphy. Sean Murphy in this equation is the exact same situation, basically, as Adam Eaton was whenever they decided to pivot at that point to go to Dexter Fowler as their leadoff guy that can play center field for them. They settled. This past offseason, they were shocked by the sticker price of Sean Murphy. They didn't want to give up the left-handed bats that they already had on their major league roster. So instead, they pivot. They say, you know what? It's just money. We'll go out there and sign Wilson Contreras instead. And with Dexter Fowler, the goal was he's going to be a leadoff hitter for us or bat second, and he's going to play in center field every single day. Guys, they knew exactly what they were getting in Dexter Fowler. They knew. Everybody knew that guy was not long for center field. And eventually, one year in, the Cardinals found out that he was not long for center field. He started for them 110 games in center field in that first season with the Cardinals. You know what? He, how many games he started in center field the rest of his Cardinals career the next three seasons combined? I'll go 10. Oh, well. A little, a little low on this. 58. I was going to say 10. Well, I knew it was low. Do you, did you watch Cardinals baseball those yeah. years? 58 yeah. games in center Learning field for drive. Those three years combined for Dexter Fowler. That is what this is all over again. And the problem that they had then is that it created a glut in the corner outfield situation for the Cardinals because of the mistake that they made handing all of that money to Dexter Fowler. The problem that they will potentially run into here with Wilson Contreras is very similar. If they decide to make him the everyday DH, you are now blocking a spot where you could get Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado into the lineup on their off days. You are blocking a spot where if you have a guy like right now with Brendan Donovan who can't throw day-to-day, he can't use the designated hitter spot. You can't use that spot for Jordan Walker if he wants to have your best defensive outfield alignment out there. You can't use that spot for Nolan Gorman occasionally. Like It just clogs up what you're able to do with the lineup. This is a decision, I think, where the Cardinals need to decide this offseason, is Wilson Contreras a catcher for us? And if the answer to that question is no, you need to trade him. Full stop. Agreed. I think that is the route that they need to go this offseason. And if that means getting almost nothing back and even eating some of the contract and admitting a massive mistake, so be it. I don't view it that way. I think Wilson Contreras can be your catcher because what I've seen from him so far this year is almost exactly the player that I expected him to be. 
But the Cardinals are clearly disagreeing with that assessment, so they need to decide this offseason what they view as their future at the catcher position. And if it doesn't include Wilson Contreras, as you just heard in that cut from Brad Thompson, then he needs to be traded, not moved to the designated hitter role. If you're overhauling this pitching staff... To me, that's the last straw you're going to give to Wilson Contreras, where next season, if you've got a new pitching staff, you're going to view this as, all right, Wilson, you had a full offseason to figure this out. We had the big boy conversation of you needing to get better, and you've got a different pitching staff to work with that doesn't have the Yadier Molina effect. I think that's just an excuse, but let's go down that path that say these guys were just used to Yadier Molina and they couldn't adapt to to Wilson Contreras. That's not going to be the case this offseason. If you follow what you're saying in terms of overhauling this rotation 2024 I feel like is going to be the exact same as this season where Wilson Contreras is getting a bulk of the load and then whomever the backup catcher is maybe it's a free agent who's got a little bit more defense in his game fine but beyond 2024 then we start getting to the conversation that we're having right now because the other factor in this is the, if the Cardinals view this as the winning window well then Wilson Contreras is going to be a part of it because that bat is going to be a pivotal piece in their team's push for a deep playoff run. So it goes beyond 2024 with Wilson Contreras. I'm just going to look at it as par for the course next season. See, and I, I actually wonder if that is part of the reason they're raising concerns with Wilson Contreras is because of the revamp they're going to have to make with the rotation. Look, Contreras was brought in to a new pitching staff this year. And what happened? He struggled so bad they had to pull him from behind the plate. And then put him back in 10 days later. Yeah, well, you know, he learned a lot. Yeah. Oh, they, quick, they quick pulled learner. him. They pulled him from behind the plate, and he didn't learn a new pitching staff. And now he's going to have to learn three new pitchers that are going to be brought into the Cardinals system, into their rotation, maybe even more, and new bullpen arms that they bring in. I, I don't know. I, I wonder if that is also the reason that they are raising some of these red alarm bells going off of. Oh man, he really struggled last year to do it. Are we really going to trust him to do it with a new pitching staff that we bring in this year when we overhaul this rotation? Just kind of trying to tinfoil that. I, I feel like that could be something there as well. It's a totally fair question, and it's something the Cardinals need to decide before they try it out. Because this is an offseason move, if you decide to make it. Because Wilson Contreras has a massive contract for multiple years remaining, and you're not going to be able to move that in a season. This is the kind of move... I mean, we saw this last year. He didn't have a massive contract, and the Cubs couldn't find a suitor for him at the deadline. So if you're going to make this move, it's, it's something that you got to make in the offseason, and you got to make that decision quickly. So it, it, that is something that I will be interested to see what they decide to do the rest of the year. I am curious to see if Wilson Contreras is in the lineup today. I have not seen the lineup. Alex has not seen the lineup. T-Bone has. It's time for the lineup game coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs> It's time for the lineup game alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The Cardinals are coming up at about 115 for their first pitch. They have a four-game winning streak. They have won seven of their last 10 games. And for the first time since May, they are out of the cellar of the NL Central. Alex. Just like There's the Blues some... in 2019. Here they come. Yeah, well. yeah. The Cardinals are coming. The, the Cardinals, Cardinals are, are coming. coming. The Cardinals are coming. No, they're not. So they have uh, they have some gentleman. I've never heard of this guy. I have no uh, history or recollection of him being in the Cardinal system, for example. Sandy Alcantara Ugh. is on the mound. Scrub. For the Ooh, Miami Marlins. 
Have you, you know, seen his ERA this season? He has not been very good. This yeah, year. he's been terrible. Some are wondering if we won the Ozuna Cardinals trade now. Cardinals won the trade. Yeah. Look Some are playoff, wondering. Look at the playoff runs they yeah. went on with Marcelo Zuna, and how many playoff runs have the Marlins gone on? You know, it's a good point, Alex. Boom. So, Roasted. right-handed pitcher on the mound. Got a lot of swing and miss, to say the least. Have that in the back of your mind as we're kind of going through some of the decisions for the Cardinals All, right, so all the left-handed bats are in the lineup. That's right. It is a day game after a night game. Alex, I've got Brendan Donovan batting leadoff for the Cardinals today. Do you agree? I agree, and, well, we all know what position he's playing, so show us Donnie, T-Bone. Dun, dun, dun. Nailed it. So we know the Cardinals like to go lefty, righty, lefty, righty. Oh, so don't get me started. this has to be Paul Goldschmidt, right, BK? Yep, and we know he's not as a DH today, so we can go ahead and put him at first base. <laughs> Ding! I love gold. T-Bone's favorite players batting third. Lars Noopbar. Oh, okay. And they're going up against a right-handed pitcher, which means Lars is almost certainly going to be in center field. Batting cleanup, Alex, will you do the honors? Nolan Arenado! Can I say one more thing? Yes. Albert Pujols, I love you, man. Man, we could use you, Albert. All right. <laughs> yeah, we could. Uh, okay, one through four. Now it, gets, uh, now it gets interesting, BK. Do you think Wilson Contreras is catching today? No. Not They've after, got a bullpen day. Not after last time. I think, I think today, I, I actually tend to agree with you. I think they're going to go with uh, Yvonne Herrera behind the plate today. Would be my guess. But you think he's batting fifth? I don't. I was going to say, this has got to be Walker, right? I, man. It's either Walker or Gorman. I was thinking Gorman. All right, we'll go with you. Man, they're going lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty, lefty, righty. Uh, Gorman. Gorman. There's a storm coming, Ari. drop wait is that a new oh, one it is yeah. apparently they're giving us new ones they switched it yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not i sure like the old one. one yeah i don't like that one no. I like hey the i'm not the better. fast lane i'm not the fast lane bk yeah, yeah that's fair yeah. it's their it's show not, it's, their it's game. not your game yeah. or your job <laughs> you know what? we're just the midday show bk that's not us all right this is walker six. this is where i do agree with you alex i yep. think walker is right here yep sorry guys oh, oh is this paulie d is this the Bur king Burleson? i'm guessing it's Burleson. oh yeah Burleson makes sense a day off for walker you think no i just think that they're gonna get the lefty bats the most opportunities possible against the right see I, I i wonder after that catch last night carlson's playing <laughs> scores the winning run what do you want to go with we'll go alec Burleson here okay it's a pop in that lineup what the H is wrong with you guys? Could Carlson? this? Could, I don't think Carlson would be hitting here if Carlson's playing. I agree. I, this is either Herrera or DeYoung. Maybe Herrera? This is high up for her. For sure. an, go go Herrera. with Herrera. He's All been right. hitting well. Go All with right. Herrera. Show us Herrera. You hit the nail on the head. <sighs> Janet. So this is Paul DeYoung. Because right, we're, we're at the seven spot. I, I think this count. is Burleson. Oh, yeah, this is Burleson. Okay, yeah, Burleson. Oh, Burley. You're so rugged and manly. This one can never change. He now, is rugged and manly. Now you got Gorman. Who's playing shortstop? Nope, we did Gorman. Yeah, we did Gorman. Paul DeYoung. Yeah, DeYoung. Oh, How about 
I don't like Alex, that one I either. Think, I think they're going with uh, Carlson today. I do too. I think he's batting nine. I think after after his performance last night, they said, "All right, Dylan, Tyler O'Neill's still hurt. No surprise. Let's put uh, let's put you back in the outfield, Dylan Carlson." Hey, Carl. Right. Nice. Good to see you. So he got it. Day off for Walker then. Yep. All right, T-Bone. Let's run, run it. it. Leading off, Brendan Donovan at DH. Then it'll be Paul Goldschmidt at first. Lars Newtbar in left. Nolan Arnato at third. Nolan Gorman at second base. Yvonne Herrera catching, batting seventh. Alec Burleson in right, batting eighth. Paul DeYoung at short and batting ninth. The center fielder, Dylan Carlson. You know what? Good for them. Yeah. Um, I have. Uh, who, I, Miami? I think I get Is that who you're referring to? Well, they're going to they're gonna Miami. Abort the sweep. Looks like a lineup they could beat. <laughs> I know that I get labeled as a Carlson hater, and and I understand it. I really do. This is basically the same situation that I painted myself in with um, the Ivan Barbashev conversations, Alex. Yeah. It's not that I think Carlson is a bad player. I I don't feel that way at all. In fact, I think that wherever he ends up going, the new team will value him more than the Cardinals have because he won't have the same hype prospect-wise that he had here in St. Louis. That was probably unfair always to Carlson and it's something that we've talked about with him for a long time because he didn't have the star position player upside that like a Jordan Walker does for example he's a really solid all-around player and I think we've seen over the course of the last really week or so what he can do when he's at the top of his game could be a solid defensive player I still think I disagree with everybody on on his center field capabilities but whatever neither here nor there did you see that catch last night it was really good. Lars Newtbar earlier in the game had almost the exact same catch, and nobody talked I've about it. I've seen Lars drop a lot of balls this season. So He also had a really bad misplay off the wall. Like yeah. I'm not even willing yeah. to have the conversation. Like Marcelo I, I don't, Zuna out there. Oof. I don't think that the Cardinals have a center fielder on the team. My thing with Carlson is I, I think you just have to make a decision on Carlson, Newtbar, and Walker, and you can keep two of them. And I think they've made that decision. But I hope he completely proves me wrong. And over the next two weeks prior to the deadline, they decide, you know what? This guy's too good in center field. We can't move him. We need to keep him as our everyday center fielder moving forward. That, that'd be good for the Cardinals if that happens. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I said yesterday, and I'll stick to it. To me, it's one or the other. You're, you're going to keep Carlson or Newtbar. And, and if I'm John Mozalak, whoever is going to offer me the best package is the guy that I'm going to trade and I'm going to stick with the other one because I just look at it as both are, are around the same type of player and you're going to get the same result out of both of them. So uh, for Carlson, I mean, look, Tyler O'Neill is not back yet. We thought he was going to be back. Maybe he'll be back and activated for this next series. But if I'm Carlson, I want to be in there every day right now, because if I'm showcasing it and maybe at some point you have a change of heart, if you're the Cardinals, but going into this trade deadline to me, it's going to come down to who is willing to offer up the best deal for one of those outfielders. Or maybe it's not the deadline. Maybe it's the offseason. But one of those guys gets moved, and really it's the best return. Somebody on the text line, by the way, guys, I've seen a lot of this, and I think it's just totally unfair because they're different roles. They asked, who would you rather have, Burleson or Carlson? I, I think players. that it's, all, it's different players for very different roles. Burleson is your prototypical fourth outfielder. He's a good left-handed bat, and he's a guy that is – I mean, at best, average defensively, probably below average. But he he's going to be fine with not playing every day. The value for Dylan Carlson is either as an everyday player in your outfield or as a trade chip because, Alex, other teams will value Dylan Carlson. The value that you're getting out of Alec Burleson on the trade market is very minimal. Like he's, he's just not a guy that's going to get you a ton in return. 
Carlson could. You could get something of significance in return for Carlson or Newt Bar. So that's why we talk about them. The reason why we're not talking about, like, Paul DeYoung as a trade chip or Tyler O'Neill as a trade chip is because you get almost nothing in return for those guys. It's the same reason why I talked about Ivan Barbashev as a trade chip for the Blues, because you can get something of significance for that guy. He ends up bringing back a Zach Dean. You're not getting that equivalent in baseball terms for an Alec Burleson. It's just not happening. Yeah. And and I was going to say, no, yeah, you're not getting that for them. And Carlson, to your point, like I I think if this team was – competing and had a rotation that they could rely upon I think there is a role for him as a platoon bat because I do think you can have platoons problem is if when you're missing as much pitching as the Cardinals are who becomes that piece that you're willing to part with that's not an everyday guy and that's Carlson and Carlson fits into that category of teams value him I'm actually not even sold that he can become a I think he'll be a good player I don't think he's ever an all-star caliber player to where you really regret trading him because he can't hit right-handed pitching and maybe some teams think they can look at that and fix that. Okay, well, then I'm going to sell high on him and not get burned by holding on to him too late. I think that's been the biggest issue with the Cardinals is they've held on to pieces that are valued across baseball for far too long, and then they end up not panning out, and then they're stuck with them, a.k.a. Tyler O'Neill, and they're going to have to sell low on them and get rid of them at, at below market value price and what you were expecting when you potentially could have moved on from them. I just kind of look at categories with these guys when you talk about trading and you stick with one or the other, and I know this sounds crazy to put, but Alec Burleson is in the same conversation as Nolan Gorman for me. Gorman is a much better player with a higher upside, but if I'm going to trade one of them, I'm keeping the other because they're my left-handed power bat. Now, I know they play two different positions, but if you're keeping a Donovan or an Edmund, one of them might be a second baseman for you when Mason wins up there. And then you've got the Newt Barr and Carlson conversation. So you have multiple options if you decide to trade the other one. So it's not like you're putting yourself in a bad spot unless you're trading two of those guys, which frankly, I just don't think the Cardinals can do because they have the high upside player. And then you've got the one that seems to have a lot of hype around major league baseball in three different categories. And you just got to categorize them as that when you move into that trade deadline in the off season. So I, we just got some notes from our guy, Bradford Bruns, who's out at the, uh, the ballpark today pregame. Ollie Marmel talked to the reporters about Carlson's recent stretch in center field. Here's what Ollie's quote was. With the group that we currently have, meaning not Edmund, he is their best center fielder. Ollie Marmel very clearly believes that Tommy Edmund is a better center fielder than Dylan Carlson. Now, he might end up being wrong about that, but I have just found that particular piece to this to be really interesting. I think the Cardinals view it as, Carlson is not as good in the corners as Walker or Newt, and he's not as good in center as Tommy Edmond. And ultimately, that's going to drive their decisions here. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely in a game that we like to call more likely to happen here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. PK and Ferrario's More Likely to Happen. Brought to you by Train Heating and Cooling. Visit traininfo.com. It's hard to stop a train. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort. Huh? His woohoo sounded depressed today. He seems down. I didn't think it did sound Oh, depressing. I thought it was terrible. Oh. You're better than that. 
Okay. I think Alex seemed down before the show today, but I feel like he's had a good day today. <laughs> Storms last night and five pound 13 year old dog. That'll do it to you. Hey, man. Been there. Wait, it rained oh. last night? <laughs> yeah. I wish I could have said that. Yeah, I slept through the night. This stupid dog. You okay over there, buddy? You need to get anything else off no, your I'm chest? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. That's it. Just dogs Let's and storms. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one is more likely. How is it Let's possible start- that my two-year-old can sleep through the night during a storm, but not my 13-year-old dog? Explain that to me, BK. Huh? Go ahead, buddy. You got more? Go no, ahead. No, that's it. That's all I have. I just like interrupting you. Okay. More likely to happen. The Cardinals trade for a guy that starts the opening series next year, so it's a top three starter for them at the deadline, or they sign somebody in the offseason that is a legitimate number one starter that starts opening day for them. Trade for a guy that is a top three starter for them next year at the deadline, or sign somebody in the offseason that's their new number one. I'm going to say it's more likely that they trade for him uh, because you've got more pieces that the Cardinals can make a move with, then I believe they're willing to spend money on the guy who would be that legit ace because that legit ace is two names. It's Aaron Nola and Blake Snell. And I don't think they're signing either of those guys. Although I'd love to see them sign either of them. I just don't buy them paying up that amount of money. So I'm going to say trade. I'm I'm going to be optimistic. <laughs> yeah, that smirk and on your face is gonna, uh, real truthful. I'm going to drink the Mo cocktail and oh. I'm going to buy that the model is changing and I am going to... Say more likely to happen that they are signing the guy that starts on opening day. And I think they're going to sign Aaron Nola. I'll go with that. That will be my T-bone bold take. This is a conversation (laughs) for another day probably, but are you guys concerned at all about Aaron Nola? Eh, A little bit. You know, that four ERA is not looking great. Concerned about him as much as I'm concerned about Blake Snell. Like, Well, Blake Snell's been significantly better this year. Get it, but also has injury history. And and that is one area where you at least so far, knock on wood, have not had to be worried about Nola. He's still he's still pitching his innings. He's at right. 125 innings this year. He's made basically every start. But he's allowed 21 home runs, which leads the league. He has an ERA that is basically the exact same as Miles Michaelis uh, this year. He's basically park. been Miles Michaelis. So I, I'll take another the, Miles. The strikeout rate's down. The velocity's down a little bit. I do think he's the most likely player to be signed by the Cardinals this offseason, and I am going that it is more likely they sign the number one. The more I think about it, Alex, the more I'm not sure they're going to be able to get that trade, that the starter that they want via trade. If they do get one, I think it's Lance Lynn. And I don't think that's a number three. So I'm saying it's more likely they sign the number one because there are more guys that fit that criteria than will be available that are a number three at this deadline. All right. More likely to happen. Lars Newtbar has more all-star appearances than Dylan Carlson in their career. So which one's more likely yeah, to make sorry, the most all-star games? Portly, yeah, which one's more likely to have more all-star games in their career? Dylan Carlson or Lars Newpar? Oh, Man. easy for me. Lars Newpar. It might be like one to nothing. Um, I, I just can't see. I just don't see it with Carlson. We had conversations this year on Nolan Gorman. Can he be an all-star after his first month? And people were up in arms if he can't be an all-star because he doesn't hit against left-handed pitching, which, by the way, the Cardinals were right. He doesn't hit lefties that great. How is Carlson going to do that when he can't hit 70% of the league, which is right-handed pitchers? So I just see it as I'm going off of that knowledge, and he hasn't shown any signs to me that he's improving against righties. 
that I think it's more likely it would be Lars Newbar. And Lars Newbar's got that charisma to him as well. Part of the All-Star game for him to get in is probably going to be one play, of course, but two, like, Newbar gets hot for the first half of the season. He would definitely get voted into the All-Star game by the fans. So I would say more likely Lars Newbar. I think that I agree with T-Bone on this. The other thing is, like, if they get to a place where next year Lars just exclusively plays against right-handed pitching, which might happen, by the way, his splits have become more pronounced this year. He's not hitting lefties very well again. Um, if he's exclusively playing against right-handed pitching and has something approaching like an 800 OPS and maybe has a little bit of a first-half power surge, I could totally see him making one or two All-Star games. Kind of similar to what we have seen from uh, Jock Peterson, that style of player. Um, although obviously a much better defender, I, I could see Lars making all-star games. I think it really depends on where, if Carlson is traded, it depends where he goes. Because I could see him being the the lone all-star from a like bad team. I don't think he's going to make it necessarily on his own merits, though. That would surprise me. You guys so will love do. this one. I'm going to say the more likely one is the one that gets traded. Because whoever oh, that is going on. to be. So negative. Whoever is more likely going to be, be the lone appearance for that wow. team. Or they're going to turn into an all-star. Huh, because that's what happens, right? Yeah. I can, give you, I can give you like five examples if you'd like. You're, just, you're not wrong. Yeah. You're not wrong at all. Fair. T-bone? Uh, more likely to happen, the Cardinals finish at 500 this season or they go on to win the division next year? The latter. They, much more likely they end up winning the division next year. I think, I like, would you guys pick them right now to win the division in 24? No. No. Oh, Interesting. I would pick the Reds. I would too. Because I think I, they've got up and coming talent. And I think they're going to be aggressive. And I could see where they spend yep. this offseason and they go out and get like a Stroman. Sounds like they want Lance Lynn because a guy giving up home runs fits that ballpark. That'll be fun uh, when he pitches against the Cardinals. But I, I think the Reds are going to be the team that's going to be favored yeah. going into next year. And Yeah, that's I'm at too. I, I would go with the latter though. I think that it's more likely that's going to happen because this... This dumb team is going to go on this run and we're going to all buy into it and get excited. And then they're going to miss by two games and say, look, guys, we were there at the end of the season. Uh, but I, I would side with it's more likely next year they win the NL Central. But I'm still skeptic that they actually overhaul their rotation, which is why I'm just not sure they'll do that either. I I think I'd say more likely this team somehow finishes at 500. I can mm. with that stretch in August, even though they're going to be trading off pieces. They should still win a big chunk of games in August. So I'm going to say more likely they finish at 500, and then Mo can really run around town with his resume and talk about how he should be trusted to refix this Cardinals rotation. Here's my pushback on that. Do we really think the Cardinals can – how many times do they play the Reds the rest of the season? They have, like, what, two more series against them, three more series against them? Something along those lines. Do you really think the Cardinals can win those series against the Reds head-to-head? Well, why does it just matter about the Reds? Well, because that's the team you're chasing to win the NL Central. I didn't say they're winning the NL Central this year. I said 500 oh, okay. this year. Yeah, I got you. Because, yeah, they're not yeah, winning got, the division. They've got six more games against the Reds. By the way, the, the Brewers are first place in the division now. Yeah. And Cincinnati's, the Reds. Cincinnati has hit their struggle that I thought was coming, and we'll see how they rebound. Because, like, last night they couldn't get anybody out. Gave up, I think, 11-some runs. They've lost six in a row. Ellie De La Cruz is really starting to struggle. So we'll see how they bounce back. I think they're a year away. I think next year's the year in which they are really contending anybody for the else, Central. Anybody else amazed at Milwaukee, like, just secretly got to the top of the division? They've become the Cardinals. Like, They've I don't even know what they're doing because I just assume they're losing. And then next thing you know, it's, oh, hey, they're winning the division. Yeah, they're they're what the Cardinals used to be. 
where nobody understands it. It doesn't make any sense, but they've got good pitching. They've got good defense and they have just enough offensively to be able to get them to the top of this terrible division. That's their formula. Good. Uh, by the way, good, good, good. Have good, you guys, good. have you guys seen what Ellie De La Cruz is, is doing now? He's really cooled off. Yeah, I was going to say, he's gone really cold. It's why I'm not picking the Reds next year. They have so many guys that took the league by storm when they first came up to the big leagues. I think you're going to see a correction from a lot of them. The way that we've seen the correction with Jonathan India over the past couple of seasons. Jonathan India is still a really nice player. I like him a lot. I would want him as a starting middle infielder on my team. But he's like a above slightly above league average hitter and i think that's where a lot of these players are going to eventually fall down to but they just all got off to such hot starts at the exact same time that they looked to be a lot more dominant offensively than they actually are india kind of reminds me of um colton wong that's who he kind of reminds me of good second base good defensive second baseman can be like slightly above league average as a hitter. Yeah. yeah with a little bit more pop and probably gets on base a little bit more but like that's who he kind of reminds me of. Right-handed yeah. version, Colton Wong. Can have, like, moments where it's like, whoa, look at that guy. And then the rest of it's just like, yeah, yeah, he's kind of a league average hitter. Don't worry. They'll, they'll bust out of that slump when they play the Cardinals. <laughs> 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I'll tell you who the guy is that I think is the fourth most untouchable player on the Cardinals. So behind Goldie, Arenado, Walker, who is the next most untouchable player on the Cardinals? I'll give you my answer on that coming up at the top of the hour. But coming up next, time for the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Let's dive into the junk drawer alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? All right, so guys, last night I went to the Cardinal game, and after the Cardinal game is done, I'm like, okay, I got to go to the bathroom before we get to the car and then head home. So we're waiting in line in the bathroom there, and this guy in front of us, he, like, starts to walk forward, and then he kind of walks to the wall, and I think he's getting getting ready to go to the bathroom in the corner of the bathroom there. Smart man. And then, and then what happens is he just skips the line entirely and goes, I'm sorry, fellas, I and just cuts in front of everybody and goes to the bathroom. And I'm standing there going, man, I, what, the, what the hell's wrong with this guy? He's skipping line. Every other guy in front of us, though, was like, yeah, I've been there. Been there. Yeah. I respect that he had the honesty to get in front of us and do this. Is this like part of the bro code? Like, no, if you've really no. got to go, you can just no. skip the line. Somebody should have grabbed him by the belt and pulled him while he was going because he might that's have gone ridiculous. Right then and there. That's and, ridiculous. And the quotes that I heard were, "I respect that he was willing to do that," and the other guys, the other guy that was in front of us, said uh, something along the lines of, "Like, well, I'd rather take that walk than the walk of shame." I want take the walk of shame. Well, I don't me, like him skipping line. Follow up question: Was he a big dude? No. He was an older, older gentleman, but not like. 70s, 80s. He was probably like okay, late but what 40s, I mean early by 50s. Big dude, did you look at him and think, yeah, that guy could murder me if I say something? No. Okay. Well, then, yeah, somebody should have said something. That's I, that's not allowed. I didn't know. Like, I was thought. I thought everybody in line would be like, "Whoa, what the hell is this guy doing?" Instead, everybody was like looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. Now, okay, yeah, I've been there. Where yeah. I do agree with that move 
is if it's a number two. Because uh, no, what I'm saying is number ones. That's ridiculous. Everybody's got to go just as bad as you do. But if you're prairie dogging it, you've got to cut lines. You've got to cut line and say, look, I am sorry. I've got to go. Otherwise, we are about to have a massive problem because I've done that one before. A hundred. That that is where I was going to go with this. If you got to go number one, man, you got to wait in the line just like the rest of us. We've all been drinking these 28 ounce beer or 25 ounce tall cans of beer out at Bush Stadium. Like, I, I'm right there with you. We've all got to pee, dude. If you got to go number two, and this is an emergency, like when I had to go back out in the woods uh, while I was on my run that one time, like, <laughs> that's there, a little buddy. different. <laughs> yeah. Then I will also be participating in the literal been there, dude. Um, but if you got to go number one, dude, get in the line. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not going to be the one that says anything because I'm a wimp and I, I'm not trying to have any of those physical altercations, like just not in my personality type. But Alex absolutely yeah. would. Yeah. I would have said something. I could not believe what I saw because like when he first, first when he walked to the corner, I'm like, is this guy about to do what I think he's going to do? What? And then he just goes, I, I'm sorry. And, and he just like skips the whole line and he walks in a, a, one of the stalls and like he like if... The guy that was there previously was zipping up. Had he not been, I think he would have gone right next to him. Uh, what you were—if th- you've got to go this bad, Alex, you got to find a cup somewhere in the stadium, yes. and you go into the corner, or go in the trash can. No, don't yeah, do no, that. Don't Somebody's got to pick can. that up. No. Go in the trash can. If you—if—if if it's a legit emergency, you don't cut everybody else in line. You go create your own line. Yeah, what, that's the way that I. What done. you were thinking in your head, I would have been saying yeah, out loud. Okay, I'm glad that I—that I'm not a part of the minority. Because I was stunned when everybody in that bathroom just looked at each other and was like, I get it, been there. I was just, really? We're all, everybody's going to say that in front of me? Nobody's going to question this at all? Yeah, I, I, I would have been livid because that's ridiculous. Everybody who is waiting, nobody wants to wait in line to yeah. go to have to, the, to have to use the bathroom. But everybody has to go just as bad as you think you do. I know exactly what you were thinking. I've got to go to the bathroom because I got to beat this crowd to get to the car before everybody else does. And that's not how this works, buddy. Yeah. Like, I, I respect that he was willing enough to go do it. I was more shocked. But I, I was more shocked not by him cutting line, but the reception of him cutting line. Someone three said, one four. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, buddy. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service hex line. Somebody from the three one four says, "You guys don't realize what you're about to go through when you turn forty years old." Maybe Bruh. that's it. Maybe, maybe when I get maybe. to forty, I'm gonna have a different opinion on this matter. But as of today. Nah, if you got to pee, you can wait in line just like the rest of us. Sir, madam, I suffer from IBS, so uh, I have had to go worse than other people. And guess what? I have to wait just like everybody else does. Otherwise, you're going to be looking at a disaster. If you have not checked us out, please do so at 101 ESPN. Go ahead and bookmark that page. Subscribe and like. You'll get all of the alerts on your YouTube page if you do that over at 101 ESPN. But coming up next... Who is the fourth most untouchable player on this Cardinals roster? I think the top three are pretty definitive for everybody. It's Goldie, it's Arenado, it's Jordan Walker. Who would you have at number four? I'll tell you who I've got next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing, high fly ball, hit deep to right. So they're going back. Track ball, that's going to carry out. Donovan homers to tie the game. Didn't hit it all that far by today's standards, but hit it far enough. A game-tying home run. 
Chip Carey on the call last night on Bally Sports Midwest as Brendan Donovan hits a home run for the St. Louis Cardinals. And that one, Cardinals get the win last night. Fourth in a row, seven of their last ten. That one by a final of five, five to two in ten innings. Alex, Brendan Donovan has been on a tear. Since June 1st, Donovan is hitting 325 and he has an OPS over 900. He has six home runs and overall 11 extra base hits in those 34 games. He's hitting the ball hard again. He's taking his walks. He's getting on base at a high, crazy high clip. And for all of those reasons and so many more, I think Brendan Donovan has become the fourth most untouchable player on the Cardinals right now. I would have a clear cut, and I think everybody would agree with this, top three on the Cardinals' most untouchable players, Walker, Arenado, Goldie in some order you can put them in whatever order you want to but those are the three most untouchable pieces on this roster I think fourth is where the debate really begins and Alex I'm curious who you have in that spot but for me it's Brendan Donovan he has a 385 on base percentage since being called up to the big leagues that is the eighth best not on the Cardinals in all of major league baseball to put this another way in the last 20 years here is the entire list of Cardinals players who have gotten on base at least 30%, 37% of the time in back-to-back -back seasons. So two seasons in a row that are getting on base at the level that Brendan Donovan has each of the last two years. Albert Pujols, Jim Edmonds, Matt Carpenter, Matt Holliday, J.D. Drew, Paul Goldschmidt, and Scott Rowland. That is essentially the best Cardinals hitters of the last 20 years in J.D. Drew. That's what that list becomes. And you can add Brendan Donovan onto that list now with what he has accomplished. Oh, shots so for fired me, at J.D. Drew. <laughs> given the on-base percentage, given his flexibility defensively, given the way that he is a gamer, and the dude is just, in my opinion, a winning baseball player overall, I'm not giving that guy up. That guy, to me, is the fourth most untouchable player on the 2023 St. Louis Cardinals. Who do you have up in that spot? See, it's 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 weird because I would put Brendan Donovan there, but to me there's a cutoff. And my cutoff is actually untouchable, Goldschmidt, Arenado, and, and Jordan Walker, and then untouchable, but I'm listening. Because I don't think you can... I, I don't think you can have untouchables if you're the Cardinals right now because you need to upgrade elsewhere. Now, I'm not talking about fire sailing and selling everything off and starting over. Like You have to be smart about it, which is why I would put Brendan Donovan there. But if somebody's calling me, if Seattle's calling and they really want Brendan Donovan and are willing to offer up Logan Gilbert, I'm going to make the trade. Because as much as I love Brendan Donovan and as much as I, as much as I say, yeah, I'm going to need this guy if I'm going to compete next season – I also need my best pieces to bring me in something in return. So I would have him at four, but to me, there's a tear break there because after Jordan Walker, I'm listening on everybody. Yeah, I, I don't think there is a clear number four untouchable for the Cardinals. And when I say that, I'm not saying like Donovan, you trade him away for a bullpen arm. No, I agree in terms of what Alex is saying. You don't trade a Donovan, you don't trade a Newt you don't trade a Gorman unless you're getting something of significant value in return. But I don't think there's a clear number four on this team or in this organization that is a untouchable piece. I, I think the closest to it is honestly Tink Hintz, and that's because he's the highest touted arm in the system and the only guy that can develop within the organization as an ace, and I would probably put him as an untouchable in any trade talks. Outside of that, I'm willing to sell. I don't want to say sell. I'm willing to buy with some of my other top trade pieces in a Donovan, a Gorman, a Newbar. They're not they're, those guys to me are not on the same ilk as a Goldie, Arnado, and Walker to be called untouchables. So I guess my question would be this: 
Why isn't Brendan Donovan an untouchable? Like, what, what, it, what does he need to do in order to become that that he has not done thus far? Because he's young. He's only 26 years old. He has cost control for the next five seasons, so he's not expensive. He's a gamer. He seems to be incredibly well-liked. He can play essentially any position that you want him to. Like, what, what would Donovan have to do that he has not done? in order to become that i don't think it's anything he can do i just think it's the situation that the cardinals are in they have to upgrade their pitching staff and they have to do at least one via trade and that's why i can't look at somebody beyond jordan walker and say he's untouchable because unfortunately i have to but you have to build around a core right yeah but again i'm not selling everything if i'm giving up brendan donovan well somebody else is going to be in that spot meaning a nolan gorman is going to be my second baseman or i'm sticking with lars dupar in my outfield like brendan donovan is in an awesome utility piece right now but if he's that valued around major league baseball he's going to be my best asset to acquire something to upgrade the area that i'm really bad at and that i, I i'm not just going to be able to upgrade it via free agent signing yeah, for me, it's kind of on the same thing as what Alex said. There it is. I can replace him, not so much his utility and versatility, but I can replace him as a starter in terms of Gorman can be at second base. Or when you look at the outfield, if you keep Newbar, Newbar provides the on-base and in theory will provide more power and also plays that corner spot in the outfield and can kind of take that role of Donovan in terms of his batter profile. So I, I just look at it as... If you move Newbar, then yeah, I think it becomes Donovan's untouchable. You move Nolan Gorman, Donovan probably becomes untouchable. But with all those guys on the roster right now, all three of them I'm listening to and just seeing, okay, who do who do I get of better value in return if I include this guy in a package? And again, I, I want to make this clear. I don't want to trade Brendan Donovan. If I could keep Brendan Donovan and upgrade my pitching other ways, then I'm I'm all on board with that. If I had the option, I would probably trade Nolan Gorman over Brendan Donovan because I think Brendan Donovan is a better asset for you than what Nolan Gorman has been so far. But I also know how baseball trades work. And to Keith Law's point last week, who basically said, like, you're not getting a serviceable pitcher in your top three to help next season unless you're giving up a lot. And unfortunately for the Cardinals, Brendan Donovan's performance means that is the piece that everybody is going to be calling about, just like it was Lars Newtbar or Dylan Carlson last year. See, I actually disagree. I think Newtbar and Gorman would both be pieces that other teams would value over Brendan Donovan. Donovan is just not the typical uh, player that other teams value. And I think it's what's happening right now in our conversation. He didn't have a prospect status. He was a late bloomer. He doesn't hit for the kind of power that Nolan Gorman does. He doesn't have like the sexy quote unquote attributes the way that like, for example, a Lars Newtbar does. He's just a classic winning baseball player. He doesn't have a clear position. He's not going to hit 30 home runs in a season. He gets on base. He, he does the thing that is most valuable in baseball. He doesn't make outs. He just doesn't get out. And so when you have a guy like that, for me, I, I would trade either Newtbar or Gorman before I would trade Brendan Donovan because he does things that those guys don't do. He gets on base at a higher clip than Lars Newtbar. He has so far this season actually hit for more power than Lars Newtbar has as well. He can play in the outfield if you need him to. I think he's average out there defensively. I, I don't think he's an above average defender, but he's fine. And with Nolan Gorman, I, I like the power potential there. But Gorman doesn't hit for average, and he doesn't have the on-base percentage that Brendan Donovan does. And I think they're 
basically equal defensively at second base. So for me, he would rise above either of those two guys on the pecking order at either of those two positions. Yeah, I, I guess I, I just look at it when I'm looking at Donovan and I go, okay, what is the ceiling for Brendan Donovan? And I think it's kind of like what he is now. I, I think it is a solid baseball player that though the under, you said, you know, a lot of teams across baseball probably don't value that. I think I agree, but I think if there's something, some way that he has to be involved in a package that sends something in return that you need, I, I think you replace his on base with Newpar, and you've got a second baseman in Gorman that's got a high upside of being like a 40 home run hitter. Or so, Edmund. Oh, or Edmund, and Edmund can be that versatility piece that but we're Edmund, talking about. Edmund is not Edmund is not the same play, same type of player. Offensively, he's not, but no, he's but got he's got the same Newpar still that you're high on, and Nolan Gorman who can provide the offense. Yeah, and right, he's got but you don't versatility. have versatility. You don't have what Donovan provides in any one individual player. No, but I'm You're trying to mix guys to fill that one spot that could get me a trade. You can't. But you can. You've saying. got gold glove defense with Tommy Edmond. You've got the offense with Lars Newtbar that you're yep. high on. And you've got the versatility of Tommy Edmond. Yeah, sure. All of those players, I'm wrapping them into one. I'm getting everything you just mentioned with one guy. Right, but I'm Brendan upgrading Donovan. my pitching staff significantly if teams want Brendan Donovan. It's a false choice, though. I don't have to trade Donovan. If, I, if I'm if i the Cardinals, I will direct those conversations to Newtbar or Gorman or Edmund. Or, or you're any not of getting the talent guys. in return, then. Why? Like, this is what I Be- just don't understand. I mean, here's, I just, here's the question I, I think Alex is trying to raise. Seattle comes to you and you start the conversation and you're doing what you're saying, BK, of... We're not going to include Donovan in this package. And you say, we're willing to give you Gorman. We're willing to give you Newbar. And they say, we want Donovan in this package. And they say, what's the answer to that? And I'm not saying even in a package. They could say, we'll get, we want Donovan and like a low-level prospect. Is the conversation then, oh, no, we're out. Like, to me, it's not. To me, the, the conversation is, okay, well, yeah. I guess we're going to have to bite the bullet. Yeah, I'm not. And we're going to, this is going to suck. And this is the conversation we just had earlier. This is going to suck. I guess we're willing to make this I'm move. not ending a trade conversation if the piece is that valuable in return just because they brought up Brendan Donovan's name. No, I, and maybe I should clarify here. I'm not saying Brendan Donovan is the most untouchable player on the Cardinals or that he should never be traded. I'm saying to me he is more untouchable than those other guys. And so, like, yeah, if you can get... If the only guy, I, I don't believe this would be the case, but whatever, for the sake of the argument, if the only guy that teams are looking for to get that number two or three starter via trade is Brendan Donovan and they no longer value Newt Bar or Carlson or Gorman or Edmund or any of these other players that we've talked about in the past, then sure, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to part with what is necessary in order to get what they need. I get that. I'm saying that I don't think you're going to run into that issue. I think other teams do value Lars Newtbar. They do value Nolan Gorman. They probably value them more than Brendan Donovan. I don't. I value Brendan Donovan more than those other guys for this specific Cardinals roster because he is your everyday leadoff hitter and can play wherever your hole is on that day. If you have a hole that day because somebody in the outfield is hurt, put him out there. If you have a hole that day at second base because... He's your everyday starter now at second base after you traded Nolan Gorman. Cool. He can be an everyday starter there for you. Like, that is why I value Brendan Donovan so much. And I think the power that he has shown this year, while not astronomical, he's only had eight doubles this year, which is actually legitimately surprising. 11 home runs. The fact that he's probably going to hit 15 to 20 this year does also change that ceiling conversation that you guys were mentioning with him. I do think that he is basically the player that he's going to be. But even if that's the case... We're talking about about a guy that's going to be 
one of the more valuable players on the Cardinals year in, year out because of what he currently is as a profile of a player. Yeah, I, I guess I, – and I understand what you're saying in terms of not value – not trying to undervalue him behind Newbar and Gorman. To me, they just fit the same kind of ilk, in my opinion. Of I, I think they're all kind of similar right in that second tier. And to me, they're guys like, – like you said, you're not trying to trade them. You're looking for pieces that it, it's it's going to hurt, but it's a piece that you really need, like a Logan Gilbert, for example. I just think those three guys that we're talking about, Newt Bargorman and Donovan, I think they're all kind of tied in together in terms of their oh, value. Interesting. I, I Alex, don't think... do you feel that way too? Because I don't. I, I think that Donovan has pulled away as a better player, better asset than either of those other two guys. For the Cardinals, yes, but I think other teams are going to be viewing it that way too. I I strongly disagree with I, that. I mean, vehemently, in I mean, fact, disagree with uh, that. Hold on, let me get the squirt <laughs> bottle here. But, like, I, I, I just don't understand why he's this high of a priority for you, but other teams aren't seeing that because other teams have to see that too. If he's versatile, if he's hitting, if he's got 15 because of the to prospect 20. status and because of the age. Because T-Bone's right. This is who he is. But I, I mean, don't Newport, think he's... To, to that point of prospect, yeah, Newport, Newport, Newport didn't have that either. Right. And he's valued I know, but, highly. because of what you can dream on with him, right? What do you think is the most home runs that Brendan Donovan will ever hit in the big leagues? 15 would be my guess. Yeah. What do you think other teams would say is the answer for Lars Newtbar? I mean, looking at him this year, I think the answer's got to be 15. Sure, but I I think there will be some teams that can convince themselves that that answer is like 25 and that he still gets on base at like a 360 clip and he can be a borderline gold glove type of defender in the outfield. That's why other teams dream on what Lars Newtbar can become more so than what Brendan Donovan can be. L- trading for Newt is a upside projection. Trading for Donovan is a certainty projection. And I think that is why there's a little bit difference in terms of what the trade value would be for those two guys. And I think we all agree, if you're trading for Gorman, it is a pure upside play where you think he's going to be a 40 home run hitter. Yeah, agreed. If you trade for Gorman, you you project like Kyle Schwarber with no on base. Like that that is probably the projection I would say for Schwarber or for Gorman, where he's not going to get on base, hits like thirty to forty home runs, and hits like two twenty, basically like what he is now, but with more power. That, that's essentially what you project Gorman to be. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, they're both mad at me. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including Netflix has decided to renew the new show that they have with NFL quarterbacks. If you haven't seen season one yet, it's really worth your time. Who do you want to see followed on season two? We'll talk about that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Boys, have you guys seen the new Netflix show called Quarterback yet? It follows Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Marcus Mariota through the 2022 NFL season. I haven't, but it's just because I've I've been invested in Blacklist right now, man. Like, I've just been binging that, so I, I'm weird. I can't watch multiple shows at once. It's got to be one and finish it so I can move to the next one. So I haven't gotten to this one See, yet. I, I haven't gotten to it yet either, but it is on my li- it's in my queue to watch next one. So I'm done with my, like, four shows I got going on right See, now. See, I can't it, be like T-Bone. 
it was shockingly good. I, I had very low expectations. You guys know I'm a Patrick Mahomes honk. That's my guy. But he's never been particularly interesting in any setting. <laughs> he he just doesn't say interesting stuff for the most part. And I don't blame him. It, it, it does him no good to say interesting things. This was interesting. He was talking crap on the field. Like, you, you really get to know Patrick Mahomes in a way that I didn't think they would allow you to see. It also had some really good stuff on Kirk Cousins. I found myself liking Kirk Cousins, honestly, after watching this show. And then Marcus Mariota was involved as well. Um, the reason why I bring this up, it was announced yesterday that the, the NFL and Netflix have renewed quarterback for season two. The format for season one was basically a superstar quarterback, a mid-tier starting quarterback, and then a journeyman with Marcus Mariota. Who would you want to see on season two if you could make the decision? Jalen Hurts would be one of them. That's a good one. Kyler Murray, yeah. mostly because mm-hmm. of like the train wreck that it is. So you can watch him play video games? Yeah, exactly. It'd be entertaining. And then maybe, like, I- I'm thinking younger guys. So, like, a Trevor Lawrence in that spot. Like, kind of the label that you did, the up and comer. You've got a guy that's trying to get back into position with the success. And then maybe, like, a rookie who's just getting his first shot at it. I. I think I would go because I kind of like the format that they had this year in terms yep. of going with what they did with a journeyman. I don't know if there's really a clear journeyman. The one that the ones that I would have interest Baker, in Baker, Chase Daniel. Oh, Baker's a good one. I t- totally forgot about Baker Mayfield. I want the life. Of I was a thinking of like I was thinking like Derek Carr slash Jimmy Garoppolo, kind of guys on their new team now, kind of pressure on like, hey, this is your last shot to prove you're starting quarterback. So I would yep. say one of those two. I kind of want to. I kind of want to follow Anthony Richardson because I just think he's going to be a bust oh, in Indianapolis. Yeah, you got to follow a rookie. Yeah, I think I, that's I, the that's what you need to capitalize. I, I don't on. think they'll do it because I don't think that the I don't think rookie quarterbacks want that added element. That's fair. Yeah. Um, There's already so much that goes into it. If that's the case, go with the second year guy, I guess, uh, or yeah. someone like third year, like Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence would be fine to have on it. I also want the star quarterback that I would want to see mostly because I think there's pressure mounting on him and like it'll be buffalo could be a team that falls apart and doesn't mm. win like we're expecting yeah i, I would say josh allen and especially because of the things going on with like stefan Diggs and how you shouldn't overreact to it i, I want to get behind the, the scenes and follow josh i allen. think that star you do two ends of the spectrum you do the guy that's got the most pressure like you mentioned with josh allen but then you get the guy that's surrounded by a really good team that's got all of the super bowl championship aspirations like and Jalen hurts or joe burrow oh, yeah. you follow those two and get that, those those two different storylines i think would be really interesting I don't. I, I like that a lot. I mean, if you could get two superstars on it, it would be great. The, the way that the show works, though, I, and you'll see this, Alex, whenever you check it out, it, it, I think it helps to have one guy that the show is really centered around because then you sit, you have the majority of the show that is able to focus on them and then yeah. the other guys are kind of accent pieces. So I, I think if you picked one of Burrow or Allen, that's probably the best way to go about it. I want to see Burrow. I really want to see Burrow featured on this show in 2023. I think he would be the perfect headliner for it. And then I think for the mid-tier quarterback, I would love to see them go with either Geno Smith or Dak Prescott. I think both of those guys could be really good on this show. And then I I mentioned it. I think Baker would be the ideal journeyman. journeyman. He's on it. You know who might be good as also there too? Mac Jones, just because of the scenario yeah. he's in in oh, New yeah. England. I, Mac Jones would be fascinating to watch how it's like, oh, yeah, I'm the starting quarterback. And uh, Bill Belichick, you know, like one of the greatest coaches of all time doesn't like you. Me. You need drama, though. Like, to, to you need drama surrounding one guy. And maybe that is Baker. I, 
I don't know. I'm kind of bored by Baker now. Like Baker, like who's the new drama filled person? That's who I want. That's why I brought up Kyler Murray. Like you want drama. There there it is. But but Kyler isn't playing probably for the first like 10 weeks of the season. Even better. I can see how he is at Call of Duty. There you go. Uh, I, I I like Baker because he's he's battling for a job. Like he he might end up being the starting quarterback in Tampa Bay this year, uh, or he might end up losing that job to Kyle Trask in training camp. So I, I think there's something there, and that's kind of similar to the the storyline that they had last year with Marcus Mariota eventually losing his job down the stretch, and it made for some like he said compelling drama uh, as a result. You've, you've watched the show real quick. Question for you on yeah. Mariota. Do they follow when he just goes AWOL and just leaves the yes. team? Nice. Yeah, that, that's why I liked the show is because it's like, it's revealing. And then they talked to him afterwards about why he decided to leave. And he didn't have very good answers, honestly. He basically said like, hey, I had a I had a meniscus injury that I needed to get taken care of, blah, blah, blah. But they kind of showed the whole thing where it, it was pretty clear the organization wasn't thrilled with the facts that he was leaving. Um, it was interesting, man. It's... It's really well worth your time, and you learn a lot about who these guys are as people off of the field as much as you do kind of what their games are on the field. I hope more sports do that. And I don't know how you would do it in other areas, but I I wish more did that because I think that puts the human element to it a little bit more and makes it a lot more – it gives fans a lot more the ability to be closer to that team or player. Agreed. I I think you – like if you had this in in the NHL – I think it would be awesome, dude. Follow Jordan Bennington around for an entire season? Oh, Absolutely. God, like, you could have great. a goalie version of this. Yeah. You know? I, I just think there's there's a lot of potential with what they were able to do in season one, and I think it really helped them, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Chiefs fan, that they had Patrick Mahomes as the headliner. Yeah. Because it showed, like, if Patrick Mahomes can be on this show and he can be open and honest and you can see him cussing on the field at Max Crosby and... Uh, basically almost getting in a fight with Max Crosby on the field in one game. Like, I I think it opens up what other players are willing to have in terms of the access into their lives. So I I think the the sky is, or the the ceiling is really the roof, so to speak, um, with this show. (laughs) Guys, what? I just liked it. That was good. Isn't that who was it? It was that Michael that? Jordan. That's why I was laughing. Michael Jordan. The the, the roof is the ceiling. You're, you're darn tooting it is, Michael. <laughs> All right, let's get into some uh, something else with NFL quick hitters. So ESPN put together their rankings of every NFL team for the next five years. It's their future power rankings. Who would you like for their long term success, guys? I'm going to give you their top five really quick. Number one was the Philadelphia Eagles. Number two was the Kansas City Chiefs. Number three, the Bengals. Number four in a tie was the Ravens and the Bills. And then they had uh, Seattle Seahawks at number six overall. Other than, I think, again, the top three is pretty clear with the Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Bengals. Who would you guys have as the next best team in terms of their future right now in the NFL? I would have the Jaguars, and I'm surprised that the Jaguars weren't even in that top five. They're tied for eighth on this list. That's really surprising to me for how young they are and how many different playmakers they have on that team. That one would be one of them for me. Um, I'm trying to think. Would would one of Carolina or Indy fall in this now that they've got their quarterback? Like Indy probably has more of the ready-to-compete defense, 
but Carolina might have the more flexibility in terms of three years from now. They might be one of the really fun teams to watch. Yeah, I, I think Jacksonville would be a team that I would definitely have high up on this list, higher than tied for eighth, because I think Alex is right. Got young playmakers, Trevor Lawrence. Like, you saw him take the, for the next step this year. I'd have him tied for fourth, honestly. Yeah, and they're only going to get better. I, I think another team that kind of got undervalued on this list, and, and I get it because of kind of their quarterback situation. Oh, yeah, that's the that's a good one. The Detroit Lions. Yep. The, the Lions are a team for me. Like, I look at that roster and I go, Holy bleep, that team's really good. I know. And, and, like, they kind of fall in the same category for me as Seattle, but Seattle's defense I have questions around where it's just like, man, I look at this roster, and outside of, like, a quarterback that's kind of the journeyman that we just talked about and Geno Smith for Seattle, Jared Goff for Detroit, I look at these teams and I go, their future looks great if they if they just decide what they want to do at quarterback. And, if, honestly, if I'm Detroit, Goff might be the answer for them. And if he is, then, yeah, they're, like, tied for fifth. Like, I don't think Goff's, like, a top-five quarterback by any means. But we've seen multiple times where if he's got weapons around him, he can do the job that you need to get into the playoffs and make consistent runs. Goff is the perfect placeholder for whoever that next quarterback is going to be. And they're not going to be in a position to draft unless they get lucky and have first round picks again from other teams. But he's the placeholder that can at least compete with them until a free agent enters that portal and then Detroit capitalizes on that. But yeah, that's a good one. Honestly, four five should probably be Jacksonville and Detroit. I've got two other teams that I had on my list. Come on, man. No, we just decided. Cowboys and Chargers. Oh, no. Cowboys stink. I, Chargers I think need the a new Cowboys coach. and the Chargers both have the same issue. Coaching. I coaching. Think, <laughs> yes. And I think that is the easiest thing to fix. If you go into this offseason and you have a coaching issue, I think next year either of those two teams with the right hire could get it. Uh, could get right into the conversation of Super Bowl contender. Guys, can you imagine... If this year things go south for the New England Patriots and then one of those two teams hires Bill Belichick as their coach for next year, what would we be talking about with either the Chargers or the Cowboys if Bill Belichick was their head coach going into this season? Super Bowl contenders, Uh, especially like I think I would go more on the Cowboys side of it than the Chargers. But yeah, Super Bowl contenders on both of them. Can you imagine him with Micah Parsons? Oh, my God. Bill Belichick putting together game plans with and, Micah uh, Parsons at and, his disposal. And Diggs, quarterback. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about two difference makers on the defensive side. That's that's massive for him. The only problem is he's going to hire his offensive coordinators. They're going to be awful, and then Matt Patricia is going to fall apart. Yeah, the only reason I'm not as high on the Chargers is because they're so injury prone at their wide receiver room and their wide receiver room is getting older because I love the quarterback and I love the defense. Yeah. And also, like as we mentioned, coaching's an issue for them with Staley, but they're slowly starting to get older in that wide receiver room and some of their weapons are aging. Eckler's getting ready. I think he's he just got a new deal, but he's getting older. Like I, I just see their offensive core starting to age a little more outside of Justin Herbert. Man, their defense is just so good, though, man. Like, if you had Bill Belichick coaching Joey Bosa and then the back end with Asante Samuel Jr. and Derwin James, Khalil Mack coming off of the other edge, God, that'd be a hell of a lot of fun to watch, to say the least. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, the St. Louis Blues, top 10 offseason, according to The Athletic, but it wasn't about what they added. It was about what they removed from the lineup that ended up making them better. I'll explain what they meant by that coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So, Alex, when you look at the offseason for the St. Louis Blues, I think we all agree it was solid if unspectacular. You end up adding Kevin Hayes. You add a little depth with Oscar Sundquist. You get Mackenzie McEachern back as well. Uh, you're piecing things together. You feel pretty good about the way that this lineup is coming together. You'd grade it a B, wouldn't you, BK? It's okay to call it a C. Yeah. C plus. Yeah. Oh, C plus. Well, you must be dumb like T Bone is. That's fair. Um, <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> when I look at the way that they've improved this lineup, though, it's more about who's not in it than who they've added. And that seems to be the way that the athletic views it as well. Yeah. They looked at the teams that added the most this offseason in terms of improvements. They have the Blues at number 10 on this list, a top 10 offseason, according to them. But let me read you why they have them that high, Alex. It's got to be because O'Reilly and Barbashev and Tarasenko are gone and it's uh, new faces. St. Louis placement at number 10 has less to do with Kevin Hayes, who is a fine player, and more to do with ditching Logan Brown, who was a huge net negative (laughs) and a complete liability. You got to be bleeping kidding me. Hayes adds some much needed depth (laughs) at what was lost at last year's trade deadline. But at the end of the day, he's still just a middle six center, and that is unlikely to move the needle too much. (laughs) For the Blues. They say that the biggest reason that the Blues improved this oh offseason is because Logan Brown is gone. You've got to be bleeping kidding me. The guy that entered the season projected as a fourth line centerman who played an average of 10 minutes last season and played 30 games just because he is off of this roster. They get a top 10 offseason. Yeah. What the hell is going on right now? <laughs> I mean, that is so stupid. I, I kind of agree with it. Get him. out of here. No way. I, I can I, hear the argument if you're going to say a top 10 offseason because they brought in Kevin Hayes and they have some young players who could contribute. And now you've got Oscar Sundquist and a backup goaltender that's highly touted. But to bleeping say that it's a top 10 offseason because they didn't bring back Logan Brown, who was at best going to be a third line center for them. No freaking way. Well, I I think the reason that I would have it that way is because I think that the Blues last year had some serious liabilities on the ice regularly. Like whether that was with their defensive core or maybe more importantly, their forward group. I think there were too many nights that for 10 minutes on average per game, you would feel like you had somebody out there that you just couldn't trust. You you didn't even want to have them on the ice at any given time. And yes, Alex, unfortunately for you, one of those players was Logan Brown. Hey, I can't deny it. (laughs) And so for me, when I look at the way that I view this roster right now, I think the biggest thing they did is they just eliminated those issues. They upped the floor. So you go from having guys that you didn't trust on your fourth line as the center to having Sonny in that spot. You went from having somebody like, for example, Logan Brown as your third line center to having Kevin Hayes in that spot. You went from some of the wingers that they had playing regularly from them a year ago to having Kasperi Kapanen and Jakub Vrana in those situations. So I just think you have upped the floor for this team. And I think that was one of the biggest things that Doug Armstrong wanted to accomplish. So 
I don't know if it's a top 10 offseason for me. I, I probably wouldn't put them in that area. I would say it's middle of the pack. But I do kind of agree with the assessment of getting rid of the question marks and adding more certainty to the middle of the lineup. Yeah, that's if I'm going to label this a good offseason, it's not because they got away from Logan Brown. To me, it's because you got rid of the uncertainty when you started the season. Because let's be real, you started the season where your centermen were O'Reilly, Shen, Barbashev and Brown. Brown was projected to be a fourth line centerman for you. And then of course, everything kind of unraveled the way it did. And Brown was looked at as a top nine and it just didn't pan out. But in the uncertainty conversation, you eliminated three unrestricted free agents that were core pieces of your team where let's be honest, we inside the room. I'm sure that caused a lot of issues of three guys who were key members of a team that won a Stanley cup that didn't have contracts where two younger players did have contracts. That transition wasn't easy for them. So you took those uncertainties and you turned them into certainties. Now you have a roster, including Kevin Hayes that knows they're going to be here for the next at minimum three years. And then you add in the two unrestricted free agents, three, if you want to put Sammy Blay in here, You've got three guys who aren't upset that they don't have contract extensions with this team. They're more um, they're more determined to show that their careers are worth more than what their prior teams offered them. So Verana and Kapanen and Blay are all motivated players rather than an O'Reilly, Tarasenko and Barbashev that probably dealt with a lot more distractions last season than what they had. That's why I would label this a top 10 offseason, not because they got rid of Logan Brown. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I fair i i I just thought that was funny more than anything else anytime you Um, can put me down it's the way to do it well no not not that i just i i do think that he was he was an issue for them a year ago somebody texted in and said uh and said let's revisit alex saying in the preseason that it was the best thing for the blues in my defense or that you wouldn't press the button for him to become zach sanford if i remember correctly in my defense in preseason, the guy looked like a top six centerman. Uh-huh. And you then, and T-Bone both fall for this preseason crap. It happened with T-Bone with some of these Cardinals players, and it happened true. with hey, you. Yeah. With Matt's is having a career year. Not the way I thought. Yeah, the T-Bone three went down really south. Yeah. He had Corbin to do a T-Bone like three for the star. second half, BK, because yeah. he failed on the first half. Alex, the reason why I, I mentioned that is because I remember some of the conversations that we were having going into last year where it was, Hey, where are you getting this gold production from? Who's going to be the player that replaces what you had with David Perron? And the answer was really Jake Neighbors had to be that guy. That's what they were hoping for, at least. And so they needed him to immediately be a 15 to 20 goal scorer. And I remember having the conversation, and I'm not just bringing this up because I ended up being right about it, although that was a nice added benefit to this. Squared him, T-Bone. It was just too much to ask for such a young player. He finished the year with 10 points, much less... 15 goals so it it was too much to ask out of him and now you go into the season and it's like yeah Yakub Vran is going to score like 25 goals next year and Kasperi Kapanen is probably going to add another 15 for you like they just they have guys that have proven it at the NHL level and you don't have to second guess what they're going to be for you on a night in night out basis they've got some other liabilities like defensively I still don't know if they're any good but at least I know that you're going to have that goal production there this year. You've got one side of the puzzle put in place. Yeah, you can replace the guys that you lost last season. Like Kevin Hayes, although he's not going to be great defensively like Ryan O'Reilly was, but you're going to get the production that Ryan O'Reilly had last season from Kevin Hayes. Verona can absolutely be what Vladimir Tarasenko was for you, and then you've got Kapanen filling the spot of an Ivan Barbashev 
have. And then you're talking about the Sunquists and the Sammy Blaze and what they can provide. So you filled those voids. The real question is defense. And that is going to be remain to be seen once the season begins. Can guys have better seasons? But on the offensive side, you've improved, if not better than what you were last season. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind with what the Cardinals need to do moving forward if they continue this winning crap. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. could be in third place in the NL Central by the end of the week. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you've missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. Alex, the Cardinals are currently winning, again, 4 to nothing against the Miami Marlins. If they win today, they will have won five straight games. Tomorrow, they travel up to Wrigley to take on the Chicago Cubs. They are currently two and a half games behind the Cubs. If they win three out of four there, based on the way that my math works, they would end up being in third place in the NL Central, potentially only seven, eight games back of the Brewers and the Reds in this division. Does that change anything for you? Or are you still on the same timeline with the Cardinals needing to be sellers at the trade deadline? Yeah, still on the same timeline. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show, which go check it out on the podcast page afterwards, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Uh... If I'm if I'm Mo, I'm gonna start trying to find trades now rather than later because what I don't need to happen is this team go on a 15 game win streak and then the Cardinals say, nah, maybe we underestimated this team and look, we just go on a run, get in, anything can happen, so let's keep all of our pieces and go out and buy somebody. That is not a good idea for this Cardinals team. So uh, although it's very exciting and I love watching this Cardinals team win because it does give me hope for 2024, stick to the plan, Cardinals. Make the moves on August 1st. Let the younger guys play in the second portion of the season. Figure out what you need for 2024 and then readjust in the offseason. I think what we're seeing is a very simple situation where the Cardinals are finally getting quality starting pitching and we're seeing what the results are. And you said it, Alex, exactly what my opinion is on this as well. This gives me more hope for 2024 than it does for the rest of 2023. This team can go on a run. I don't care. They are, they, they're sellers. They should be sellers. They are sellers. They're 10 games back in the division in what is a terrible division. You are not a championship caliber roster, no matter what you decide to hold on to at the trade deadline. Sell the necessary assets, improve yourself for 2024, and then let's see what this core can look like in 2024 when you have a rotation that can be an asset as opposed to a liability for you. I think that's where this Cardinals team, it should end up going. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys again tomorrow at 11 a.m. Coming up next, it is the Fastlane from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.